0: Your style is unorthodox, but effective. It is not the art, but the combat that you enjoy. Man, you come right out of a comic book.
1: You are now now listening listening to Black Black Comics Comics Chat.
2: Black, Black, Black Black Comics Chat. We are live on Black Comics Chat.
1: Black Comics Chat.
2: Black Comics Chat. We are live on Black Comics Chat. Black Comics chat. Comics
1: Chat. Shannon, CG, Lauren, and Mel form the Nerds of Prey. A group of ladies bonded by comics, gaming, film, television, and fandom culture. Hang out with them bi-weekly as they dig into the very things that make them loud and proud nerds. Available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play. Also, check out their Patreon at patreon.com backslash prey. Hi, this is Anthony Rutgazer. I'm the writer of The First Hero and Heroes of Homeroom C. And you are listening to Black Comics Chat.
3: Hi, this is Regine Al-Sawyer, owner, writer, creator of Lock It Down Productions and the coordinator and founder of the
1: Women in Comics Collective International. You are now listening to Black Comics Chat. Hey, hey, what's happening, party people? This is Marcus Kwame, and we're back with another episode of Black Comics Chat. This is a little blast from the past. Uh, we recorded this episode in 2018, um, but I had to make sure that we got it to you now because, you know, we had a great discussion with Jeremy Whitley about his work and his uh, writing process. And as a special bonus, we had uh, one of my favorite discussions uh, of all time on Black Comics Chat, where we discussed uh, the the best He-Man character of all time, and quite possibly one of the best cartoon characters of the 80s. Uh, So check it out and enjoy. Don't forget to subscribe. Hey, hey, what is going on? What is happening? What's popping? What's cracking, people? This is Marcus Kwame, and Black Comics Chat is back. It feels like we've been off for a long time. Um, I think it's only been two weeks, but I, we we were on a, a weekly schedule for for a minute. So, you know, it feels like a, a big vacation. Anyway, um, we're very happy to be here tonight. We got a very very special guest returning to the show. Um, but first, as always, I'm gonna introduce the Black Comics Shack crew. Um, and you know, I, right up front, we got returning to the show, uh, the the man, the legend. Uh, T-Legit. What's going on, Thelonious?
2: Hey, yo, what's up, fam? Like that uh, great American poet, where like Kim said. It's been a long time. Glad to be back. I'm ready to get into this. Let's do it.
1: Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, and then next up, we've got the, the red line of the crew, the undercover Sith Lord. We got my man Tony Snark in the house.
0: What up, y'all? What up, y'all? You know, I feel like Thelonious is like, the batman of the group you know like he he comes around every so often you know and we're like yo you're gonna be on the show he's like i'm busy exactly
2: well so, <laughs> nah, it's just you know the schedule is crazy i gotta go to dusseldorf again uh this week man so
1: okay
2: john got me racking up frequent flyer miles but I'm, i've been missing out on
1: this that's true you are world worldwide you're the you, got that bat plane i yeah. you you're up there like with, with uh with Grace as far as traveling. Speaking of Grace, we want to give a very, very special happy birthday shout out to Grace. Um Happy believe,
0: Birthday, Grace.
1: Yeah, I believe her birthday was yesterday. Um so obviously, you know, she's 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 celebrating, uh, you know, turning turning twenty-one. But um I can't. Yeah. But uh Yeah, so well she's missed, but we're we're very happy that she's in celebration mode. Um and we celebrate her too on the air. So, um, and Leo, Leo will be joining the show uh, soon. He's going to slide in the, the window like Brahman man from the fifth floor. Um, so <laughs> he, he will be here shortly. But um, anyway, I, we are here. With, I will dispense with the pleasantries. You know, we, we are here tonight to uh, speak to the, the Eisner Award winning uh, creator of uh, Princeless, uh, Unstoppable Wasp uh Raven the Pirate Princess and and a lot of other cool stuff that you'll be hearing about tonight. We got uh Jeremy Whitley returning to the show. How you doing Jeremy? Doing good. How y'all doing tonight? Great, great. Good. Glad to be back on the air. Um so it's been it's been a while. Actually, the last time you were on, it, it's really nice to have a a a healthy Jeremy because I I I don't know if you remember, but the last <laughs> time you were <laughs> I think you you had the flu or something, but you you struggled through it. And we yeah, to, uh, I remember my voice was my voice was getting ready to go, and I was like, I
4: think I'm gonna be able to make it.
1: No, nah, you didn't. There. That that was the episode with the famous quote, uh, quote uh, which I think was a, a big endorsement for our show. You said that uh, you know you had a good time, and it made you feel a little less sick. So uh, <laughs> there you go. You know, I, I think I, I had that recorded. Sure, that exactly. <laughs> that's, yeah.
2: a high, that's a high bar. You know, it is I yeah. that to everybody. It's not. A, we not turn to come off like snake oil salesmen. Come on the show and we'll cure your heels. We're just saying. Hey, what about
1: mm. self-confidence? I, I think, you know, I no, think we no have doubt. Some, no doubt. some curing abilities. We'll, we'll, see, we'll see. Yeah, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll clear it with our lawyers. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> right. You heard it here first. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> heels um, the sick. <laughs> <laughs> we we got to cut a promo with that. Yeah. We You're might
2: we, we get, get a sponsor like, uh, what was that Chris Rock joint, man?
1: oh right, yeah, put some (laughs) tussing on it, yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) uh, Nah, it makes me feel a little less sick. Exactly. All
5: All
1: right, but uh, but yeah, so Jeremy, um, you know, as always, we love to um, you know, let our listeners get to know our guests a little bit. So, um, can you, you know, tell us about your origin story in comics? Uh, like what you were reading when you first discovered comics as a reader, and also your origin story as a creator.
4: Yeah, so um my my dad got me into comics. Um you know, my dad was a nerdy kid himself, you know, when he was younger and uh, when we lived in the Bay Area up around San Francisco in a little city called Livermore, we used to go up to a uh local shop there called Fact Fiction and Fantasy, which was uh a nice little nice little place where um you know, we used to go sort of irregularly and mostly he would pick up the comics and you know, he'd let us read them some, but we'd go, my brother and I would go pick up those like Marvel masterpiece cards. Right. And like all those, all those collectible cards you used to have to spend hundreds of dollars to get, you know, all the cool foil ones. Um, but that's, that's kind of, he got us started on reading comics and, uh, and we went there for a long time. That's where, uh, that's where I met Stan Lee. He came and did a signing there and, um, you know, back then you just had to buy like a new comic to get him to sign it. you didn't have to pay $200. Um, so, you know, I showed him some stuff that I had written as a, a kid in elementary school and he was all very like doing a great job. Excelsior, get out there, kid. <laughs> um, you know, it was, it was, everything you would expect from Stan Lee. Um, so like, I, you know, I feel like I, I took some of that to heart. I kept writing and doing other stuff, but, um, yeah, you know, we moved to western North Carolina and uh there wasn't really any any place to pick up comics on a regular basis where my parents lived at that time. So like I kinda fell out of comics until you know, sometime in you know, like late in college. Um I found a couple of stores um in Chapel Hill where I was going to school. Um and you know, I, I got kinda first I started going back and, and getting comics for uh, my wife at that time, because uh, they they were putting out Buffy comics, and she was a big like Buffy fan from from back in the day. So the the idea that she get to follow up the story in comics, I had to go get some for her. Um, and I started, you know, looking picking up stuff for myself again, and uh, was wondering what was going on with X Men, and because uh, that that had been my my thing when I was younger is, is X Men and Spider Man, but especially X Men because I was all about that. 90s animated series um but like at at that time you know i was we were getting the buffy stuff and i was asking about x-men and the guy running the shop was like hey so joss whedon is actually writing an x-men book right now um if you like these two things you should check that out here is the first trade and uh so about the first volume of astonishing x-men and uh so the next day i bought the second volume because that's how that goes um, And then, yeah, I, I got hooked back in. And I started reading that and other stuff, and moving out to non superhero stuff. And at some point, I figured out that like somebody actually had to write that stuff. And I was like, man i I love writing. I'm doing all this stuff with plays and trying to write novels and stuff. But man, I'd really love to write comic books. So I started trying to figure it out myself and uh, self publishing stuff with you know some of my friends who are artists. And slowly but surely, that you know built from one thing into another.
1: Cool cool so i this is always this is my follow up question because uh a lot of uh you know creators that we have on there's always a story about the the comics you're making as a kid, and we all usually gloss past it but um do you do you remember uh like what some of your early early kid comics were that you made
4: oh yeah, they were straight up x men comics think <laughs> like, like had all the x men characters that were in the books I was reading at that point and um I remember writing a story where the X-Men were fighting Mephisto. Uh, I believe that was the one that Stan Lee signed (laughs) Uh, and, you know, gave me a a pat on the back about, Um, but yeah, it was, it was all all X-Men stuff.
1: Okay, cool. And who's your, if you had to pick a favorite X-Men or woman, who who would it be? Ooh.
4: Oh, Oh, I mean, it's gotta be Storm, right? Like she's the
1: best. Definitely. Good choice. Comic book storm.
4: <laughs> yeah. Comic book storm. I, I would love to see that character actually make it to the big screen at some point.
2: The, the punk storm or the OG storm?
4: I mean, this was... I mean, I like the punk storm. When I started reading comics, it was like 90s black leather with right, like right. wings storm almost.
1: Like the, the Jim Lee costume design... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's cool, but yeah, the 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 punk era. I always say for anyone um, who hasn't read it, that that was a really, really dope era of Storm 2. I, I love love all of it, but that was really special because you know she lost her powers and she just held it down, like led oh, yeah. the You know, well, that's
4: that's. I think that's the first like comic book statue that I've ever seen that I was like, man, I could drop $250 on this statue. <laughs>
1: like, I know the one. I, I think I haven't seen it in person, but I have seen it online. I think I know the one you're talking about. Yeah.
4: I walked into ultimate comics here in Durham and it was, it was sitting up on the, on the shelf, just right in the middle of the store. And I was like, ah, I really don't have $250 to spend on that, but
1: man, I would. <laughs> so, um, I think you covered this cause you, obviously you mentioned that X-Men was a, was a huge, um, Influence, uh, but my next question is like, was there a particular comic that was a, a turning point? Even if it was X Men, like an, it, an issue or something where that just turned on the light for you, where you were like, "Oh, this is something that people do that, that I could do."
4: Um, I think maybe the, I think maybe the turning point for it was, um, I was I was reading X Men and. Buffy, like those were the only books that I was reading at that point, and um, Brian K. Vaughn did a story in Buffy, and I was like, man, I really like this story, what other kind of stuff does this guy write? And I got hooked into Runaways, and then like, uh, somebody else was like, yeah, you should try Why the Last Man, and I was like, what is this? It's not about superheroes, I don't understand, what is this? Mm. Um, and so like, I, I got so hooked into that book, and I, I think that was the point where I realized that like, you could come tell the kind of story you wanted to tell. You didn't have to wait for you know, some comic book company to hand you the reins to their character. You'd come in and be like, I have this crazy idea for this story I really wanted to tell. I think it would make a great comic book. And uh, you know, I think reading those first few volumes of that book were, were what sort of turned me on to the
1: fact that it was something I could do. I, I
0: enjoyed yeah. that book, Why the Last Man. That was, that was some quality reading.
1: It, it it really was. It's it's the only. Thing, it's got the the death in comes just made me the the angriest. But uh, oh yeah. But, but it's a, it's oh man. Movie. But even but that that's how much I like this series. That despite the anger, uh, I still I still mess with it. But um, Brian yeah. K. This, is he's a heartbreaker. He's a real bastard, man. <laughs> like, he is. He'll get you. He'll just get you. Uh, he's still doing it up until today, you know. And I, I still yeah. keep plunking down my change for his books. Um yeah there's something about him. it's funny you mentioned that like even the um the type of story that that he was telling and how how different it was Because there is something about that that kind of i think opens up a lot of people's eyes for like that there aren't any real limits as far as like what you can tell in comics and uh and he has a very very cinematic you know style of of storytelling too they're 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 adapting that i believe right to uh to the screen
4: uh they've talked about it it's bounced around a lot i know they've um, you know, there was one point where they were going to do a series of it, and it kind of backed out. It's something like preachers done a lot, where you know, it's got picked yeah. up by one place and then didn't work out for some reason. Yeah. Eventually, ends up somewhere else. But yeah, I'd like to see it. I'm, I'm hoping that makes it someday.
1: Yeah, yeah. Not, not saga though. I think they should leave that in the comics, <laughs> which, which I believe is what, uh, what, what Brian K. which wishes are, but.
4: You know. Yeah, I, you know, they would have to do something pretty incredible to make Saga work on the screen. I think it's too big and too long and too weird to, to really yeah. make it anywhere else.
2: That's what I thought about Game of Thrones.
4: Mm. I mean, some people would argue where you were correct. <laughs>
5: <laughs> well, I would say,
2: I would say the, the first three uh, books and three seasons I thought were on point. Um, and I think they neandered after that. The books and the, well, I don't want to say the, uh, the, the show kept a more tight, tighter narrative than, than the books did.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, if, if you compare it to things that are, are like it, like Lord of the Rings, I think it does a pretty good job of, of keeping the important stuff and making it work. You know, you lose a lot of things, you lose a lot of the, the color things that make characters more interesting and more relatable you know, when you do something like a TV show, uh, especially at the length they do their seasons. But, um, you know, I, I think all things considered, it's it's still like, it's no worse than the adaptations of Harry Potter. And people, you know, for the most part are okay with that now. Yeah.
2: I, mean, I didn't think Harry Potter were, were
4: bad adaptations.
1: You say you didn't think it was bad? No, I, no, I didn't think it was bad. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think it did, it did what it had to yes. do. I think I think but that that's clearly like a, an example where the series um I don't know just like a lot, a lot had to be be cut to to fit within a film so
4: yeah I think a lot of it uh Harry Potter is very uh movie by movie for me because like the, the first couple are all right the last couple are all right but like Prisoner of Azkaban with Alfonso Caron directing that it's so weird and it's so spooky and it's so just perfect
0: Definitely the best movie of the series, yeah. yeah.
2: And one one of the better books of the series too, I thought. Um, so, so here's a serious question. So, um, I don't know how many books uh, J.K. Rowling was in uh, before the the first Harry Potter book grew up on on the movies. And I was wondering, did did her seeing her her art and cinematic style like that kind of uh, impact her on how she wrote the books to make them, I guess. Uh, um, uh, uh, to, get, to make it more easy to... Uh,
1: the translate to rend, the film? To is translate, translate
2: to a film, yeah.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, my my knowledge of it is that... Uh, I mean, that was definitely her her first breakout was Harry Potter, and I mean, I, I don't know. It just seems like she figured out her business plan uh, pretty pretty well. I don't, I don't know. I guess...
2: I guess my question: How yeah, could that not impact you?
1: Though I mean, they were—I mean, they were a phenomenon. I yeah, mean, yeah, absolutely. Just- I feel like success. I feel like if if
4: you look, you got the books on your shelf right now. You can look up at them next to each other, and you can see like the point where that series became crazy successful, and they started making the movies. And it's like when Prisoner of Azkaban the book came out, because at that point, Prisoner of Azkaban is still like a normal size for a kids. Like right. for, for an all ages book. And mm. then, then uh, Goblet of Fire is huge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. It's like at that point, she didn't have to listen to an editor anymore. She was just like, right. I'm just going to write all the detail. It's going to be 12 chapters before they get to Hogwarts. Like, we're going to have a whole. Have, when
2: you have that level of success, I mean, you, your word carries more weight, right? As, yeah. far as somebody try to break into the industry. Absolutely. So Jeremy, let me ask you this. Uh, a few mm-hmm. years ago there was a huge online campaign for like, you know, we need diverse books, we need diverse characters. And somebody who write who write princes, I always think of uh, I don't know, I'm dating myself with the with the Welcome Back Cotter references. But I always feel like cats that were, <laughs> were kind of ahead of the curve with that, they're like Horseshack being like, Ooh, ooh, me, me in the front of class and everybody's like looking over them, looking at and so how did you feel about that that online um program and did it affect you as far as your sales or exposure in any way good or bad?
4: I mean I think it definitely helped more than certainly more than it hurt um you know i, I try not to be too uh too in my head about the fact that uh you know as the princeless you know, predates a lot of that stuff. We've been coming out for seven years now. Yeah,
2: so that yeah, and, so that's uh, kinda of my point. I mean, they say we need diverse books.
4: Yeah. I mean I think for me, like there's always room for more, right? That's yeah. you know, if that we're never gonna get enough books diverse, diverse books.
5: Characters.
4: Yeah. Yeah, we're gonna ne- we're never gonna get enough diverse books that it evens out the number of like milk toast comics about white guys punching people that are out there. Mm. Like if if like at some point in one month, you know the sort of generic, you know, white superheroes punching people was even with the number of diverse comics, I feel like that would be that would be cause for celebration. But I think still like comparatively speaking, there's a lot. there's a lot less. Um, so like I, you know, I try not to bristle too much at it because you know it it is a it you know, was coming out before. Ms. Marvel, which is a fantastic book, but is sort of the flagship book for you know that movement, um, and you know it's nice to to see that kind of stuff succeed, and I think it's you know I think it's a case where a rising tide you know lifts all boats. So but yeah. let me
2: let me ask you does this succeed though? Because I was looking at I was looking at the analytics.
1: It you cut out a little bit. Can you can you? Uh, can you repeat that? You cut out for a second.
2: Okay. I so I was looking at the uh, numbers of you know protagonists of a diverse background, and it does look like the needles move. So how do you quantify success?
4: I mean, I think looking at the stuff that's I mean, obviously looking at numbers is is a good way to start, but looking at, you know, how much of that stuff has made it into libraries and schools how much of it is available at a scholastic book fair like um you know how much of that stuff you can walk into barnes noble and find without like having to know what you're looking for um and i feel like there's there's more of that like you can find more of that stuff on the displays rather than stuck in the shelves you know with one copy um so I, i think it's it's hard to measure all of it but um I, I think, you know, measuring the, looking at the amount of, like, impact that is something, that books like Ms. Marvel have on, like, the kids who are at comic conventions, you know, just the, the okay. diversity of the kids, and then the kids cosplaying and stuff like that is is fantastic, and seeing sort of a new generation come up with characters that do look like them is, I mean, that's the
1: best way to quantify it for me. Yeah, and I, uh, I was gonna say, like, I, I for myself as a as a father of a young girl um, who loves comics, you know, and I, I know you can relate, Jeremy. Obviously, um, there's just seeing seeing a lot more media that she can really see herself in. Um, it it is definitely a sign of the needle moving, you know. But I mean, I think to your point, I, I do think that there is still a long way to go. Um, and yeah, that that's a good point about accessibility too. Um, You know, because it is the type of thing where a lot of times if you know to look for it, you, you you can seek it out. But I think it needs to be to be shoved in people's faces a little bit more. Um, hey, hey, man,
2: I'm sorry, Marcus. Go ahead. No,
1: no, no. You go. You go. Thales.
2: No, I was just going to say, I hate to, you know, I hate to say the conversation, but we would be remiss if we didn't, you know, give um, mention the passing of a, of a, a true queen diva. Uh, oh, last couple
1: of days. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was I was actually going to get into that in the in the chat portion of the show, but yeah, let's let's you know, shout out to uh, to rest in peace, rest in power to to Aretha Franklin, the true queen. Um, you know, it's there's one of those people where you know, obviously, people say nice things about people, public figures when they pass away, but like she just truly, when you look at the the impact and the range of her impact on music, on on the world, on other other, you know, musicians and performers, civil rights figures, like, you know, she's she's huge. She's a giant. You
2: know how some people get better when they die?
1: Hmm. Tony, yeah. is you see there? Uh oh.
2: hello, can you hear me?
1: Yeah, I can hear you now. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um you don't have to you don't have to fabricate anything on her resume. Right. I sure. mean she was just phenomenal in every sense of the word and from a, a, a hard backscrabble upbringing man like a lot of people from that era mm-hmm. so uh, props to the queen man may she rest in power
1: yeah most definitely absolutely mm-hmm. yeah. um, I guess segue-ish uh you know speaking of royalty uh we we mentioned we mentioned princeless uh before and that's definitely the book i mean that's definitely the book that first made me aware of your work jeremy and i think a lot of other people um so like just for just for anyone who was under a rock or hasn't heard of princeless uh you know t- tell us a little bit about what princeless uh is about so uh princess is about adrian who's a uh
4: a uh, young black princess who's locked away in a tower by her evil parents, and uh, decides to save herself instead of waiting around to be saved. So, she decides to team up with the guardian dragon who's supposed to be protecting her, and uh, run off and go save her sisters who are all locked up as well.
1: Yeah, and the um, the series started what, what year? I want to say twenty twenty fourteen, or was it earlier? Uh.
4: Ooh, um, let's see. It's been seven years now, so that would seven have been close okay. to wow. Yeah, yeah twenty
1: eleven, twenty twelve. Twenty eleven. Okay, okay, that that makes sense. Um, yeah, and and it's just uh, you know, obviously, you have a new volume coming out in in October, right?
4: Yeah, the uh, the new volume, which is our our volume seven, is starting up in October. Going to be doing single issues first, so you know, October, November, December, January and then it'll be available in, you know, collection starting in February. All
1: right. Well, and, it's like, you know, like, th- to Thelonious' earlier point, I mean, you know, your book definitely had quite an impact. Um, what, what is it, would you say, like, has been the, um, like, I guess just, like, what are some some, some stories of um, the individual impact that you've heard about from uh, readers?
4: Um. It's been a it's been a wide ranging thing. Um, you know, I've done a lot of conventions, so I've, I've gotten to see a lot of reactions from people firsthand. Um, I, I had a uh, a mom come up to me at a show in South Carolina. It was uh, telling me about how you know Princess is her, her daughter's favorite book. She takes it to school to share it with all of her friends, and uh, started started choking up on me. She's like, "Yeah, I just I just wish uh, wish I had a book like that when I was a kid." You know. It, it just, I'd love to be able to see myself and stuff. And I think it really, really made a difference for me. And, like, just full-on crying on me at this point. And I was like, oh, just come, come here. Let me, let me give you a hug. <laughs> like, um, you know, I've gotten a couple of things like that. And then, you know, I, I think my favorite is, you know, I have a lot of kids that come up to the table and, and tell me that Princeless was their first book, um, their first comic. And what got them into, you know, reading comics. And, you know, now they're... Running around, you know, dressed as Moon Girl or um, as Marvel or whatever, and um, you know, enjoying comic conventions, reading comics all the time—they're avid readers—and like that stuff is that's fantastic to me. Like that's, you know, knowing that it makes some sort of difference uh, to kids, um, and you know, got them into to reading comics or just you know, reading more in general is I mean, that's huge to me. And whether or not they, you know, completely realize. Messages and things are getting through the stories, you know. Knowing that they're they're digesting that and that it's, you know, in there is is important
1: to me. Right, and and that's actually a, a good point. I think that there's, uh, your your writing is very natural, and, um, you know, you do there there's a lot of humor um there is definitely messages in the story um but it it never feels like it's beating you over the head it just feels like a very natural part of the story um so i guess my next question is like as as a person you know who's not of color you do you do a really good job of of representing a wide range of people um you know like a majority of your your protagonists across your your books are women or young girls um Can you talk a little bit about writing outside of your experience and, like, what, you know, I guess what your approach is to being a responsible, you know, writer when writing outside of your own experience?
4: Yeah. Um, I can absolutely talk about that because, you know, a lot of the reason I started working on Princeless in the first place was because um, I was looking for something that my daughter, who is a young woman of color, could actually see herself in um, in comics, she could see herself as the hero in the story, and I was having a lot of trouble finding that kind of stuff in comics. So it was important to me that it, it get out there, um, and it, it's and it continues to be very important to me that I, I get it right. And um, I think you know a, a lot of I think a lot of that is uh, is down to my wife, um, who you know has always made sure that uh, you know this this stuff reads right and then it's, you know, I'm doing it the right way and not, uh, not, <laughs> uh, not embarrassing her because, uh, you know, she's, she's, she's worried I'm going to embarrass her out there, uh, you know, trying to, trying to do the wrong thing or go too far. Um, but, uh, and she always, she always reads my stuff and, and gives me uh, honest critiques of things. And, um, I think, you know, I'm, I've sort of taken, but she's given me and and translated that into you know um other areas where I've I've tried to um tell stories you know with other types of characters for example with you know with raven a lot of the cast is sort of uh queer female characters and um i made sure that going into that that i had sort of advanced readers who were you know uh lesbian, bi, and trans women who could, you know, read the stuff and and make sure that um, I was on the right track and that I wasn't, you know, screwing up things that I I didn't know not to screw up. (laughs) Um, Because I think that's the problem with a lot of very well-meaning writers, be it on, you know, comics or TV or whatever, who, uh, you know, they want to do something good, but uh, they don't, Bother to have anybody read it and look at it and give them feedback and to listen mm. and then you know something comes out and it blows up on them and they're like oh well nobody told me and it's like it's it's your job to figure it out beforehand
1: that's that's part of the gig yeah well I, you you just said the l word i mean listen you know it's it's uh that that's i think key and i think uh, anyone you know even if you are of color, if you're a man of color and you're writing you know a, a Story about a female character, any type of character. I think we all need to to, to listen and be observant of other people's experiences. You know,
2: want to get wrong, but
1: nope. It's like it's like we just lost Thilo. I think, oh, we we lost Thilo, and then <laughs> Leo Leo jumped right in in his place.
0: Now the 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 key, the key is can Leo finish the sentence.
1: Exactly. Oh, here's Thessaloniki. Uh, uh, there you go. No, no, right. You know what? I blame Thanos. They I was fading in and out. Whew. we we we're in the lucky 50%. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we absolutely are. Oh man. Hey, but you
1: Stallone's, know what? That, oh, okay. What's up, Tony?
0: I was going to introduce if Dilo D- is all right, I was maybe he would come back in, but uh, well, I just wanted to.
1: What's
2: up? I'm sorry. Oh
1: no, no. Well, finish you were, your question. Yeah, you were you were mid sentence. You were mid sentence when Thanos got you.
2: Yeah, well, so uh, even if you do your due diligence, you might just get some things wrong. Uh, but you know that's part of the art. Right. The thing is, you gotta you can't shy away from criticism, mm-hmm. but be careful that you don't conflate criticism and hate, because some critics have your best interest at heart. And some people are just going to hate on whatever you do. So if you can't differentiate from that, you probably shouldn't be putting things out in the public space uh, in the first place.
1: Right, right. And I do think that, like, I mean, I think there there's a certain level of humility. But yeah, artistic defensiveness. I mean, I think creative people are are can be defensive by nature, obviously. But I do I think it's it's huge to be able to um, understand that everything doesn't happen in a vacuum, you know. So like you you'll see creators of of a majority group um get angry, you know, that that people of marginalized groups are saying like hey, you know, you didn't necessarily get this right. And um it would be one thing if they were like I don't know, just critiquing something that was very generic, but it's like, you know, the, things don't happen in a vacuum, you know, and like we live in a society where there's extreme imbalances. So, um that does increase the need when writing people from marginalized groups to really be responsible
2: well here there's we have a real world example right now crazy rich asians which is long overdue to have somebody that uh, do a film about a a, a, a asian cast that mm. are are seen as um uh, that have some agency but the people are of singapore is like they don't represent the singapore community in a very in a very positive light right uh, so no matter how good of a job you do, there's always going to be criticism at some level, right. and but you, e- I don't think you can shy away from that.
1: Absolutely. But even with that example, I, I mean, I think it's interesting, it, think about it, like, when you have, like, one film, first of all, if you're, you're having a first in 2018, like, that's a sign of, like, society's failures, but, like, when you have, like, one film that's, like, the Asian cast film, that's a lot of, um... It's, it's big shoes to fill, you know what I mean? And yes. and, and it, it, it's a rom-com, which, you know, I'm not hating on rom-coms, but obviously they're not necessarily for everyone. And so um, I think that's an interesting part of it. It's like the, the answer is to just have more. The answer is to have tons of films with the Asian cast. So that way, like, if, if some, you know, don't knock it out of the park, then it's still all good.
4: Yeah, well, so and I, I think that actually that actually goes back to something that i've i've said on on panels several times um just from an individual perspective too when you're writing is like you have to keep in mind if you're including different types of people in your story that you only have one of any type of person that that person is a stand in for that entire group at that point right so like it's it's the black widow rule right if if that's the only female character in your mm avengers movie yeah. then everything that the black widow does all the women in that movie are doing and so like even if you don't intend for a certain thing to come across or you don't see things that way um you know if if all of your if you only have one black character and he's a villain then all of the black people in your story are villains um and i think you know having something where like luke cage you can have black heroes and black villains because they're they're weighing each other out and you. You're not gonna have anybody accuse you of like, oh well, this this is a racist show because their villain is a black guy. Because you know exactly. it's it's a whole whole array of people.
1: Yeah.
2: I will, no. I will co-sign that.
1: Yeah. Um we, we have a uh a question from the audience, you know, shout out to the ether um she asks uh you know going back to your point jeremy about how um you know you're you run things by your wife in order to make sure that you don't go too far with anything she asks like have you ever gone too far um
4: i don't think i've have any, had anything that uh would necessarily be, be going too far i've definitely had some stuff that she's uh straightened me out on um i don't know if I don't remember if the last time I came on, I had already done the uh, story that I did with Iron Fist and Misty Knight. Um, I
1: think you had, yes.
4: Yeah, because there's, there's a scene in there where, like, at the end of the issue, uh, Iron Fist is doing her hair. And um, when I had written the original script, I handed it off to my wife, and um, she's like, it, it says he's doing micro braids here. And I was like, yeah, they're watching a couple of movies. She's like that's like an eight hour thing at the least. Like that's not going to happen over two movies. You need to make it something else. Cause that's, that just stands out as like not plausible as like, I, I, you know, he's a Kung Fu master. Come on. He he can make it work. She's like, no, 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 no. It's good that she
1: caught it because there's a lot of readers that would have, would have uh, pointed that out to you.
4: Yeah. So in the comic, thanks to my wife, it is, it is Bantu knots instead of, uh, Micro braids, because yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure I'd still be hearing about that if, if that had gone yeah. out that way.
1: Yeah. Shout, shout out to your wife for for saving saving a book.
4: Shout out to my wife. Yeah. Are we talking
1: about Bjork-notch? Bjork knots? <laughs> Bjork, like 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 uh, pagan poetry, Bjork. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. That's a reference that someone listening to this will get. Right. Right. Okay. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. No, we got we got
3: Bjork, Bjork fans. I don't- <laughs> Mm-mm. you don't remember this whole thing with like with the who was it that was wearing the bantu knots and then uh and then oh uh, yeah like an online outlet called it bjork like what did like, Bjork or something like that I, I, like what the
1: yeah. fuck are you talking about yeah but it, the crazy thing is if you look at fashion magazines and the fashion fashion writers there's, there's like an article like that every two months they every two months they're like you know, yeah, yeah. Cameron Diaz uh, invents Timberlands or something. Right, like, that. like Right, right, right. I, I I literally can't even remember exactly what that that example was. But anyway, uh, I, I promised you guys that Leo Leo was gonna slide in like a bruh man, and That's uh, right. here here he is.
3: That's right. From from the fifth flow. Yo, why did he always put up four fingers though? <laughs> Cause uh, like is uh, was the was the thumb implied? Yeah, I,
1: I, I think I'm so. Lying. So bro, bro, I'm glad I'm, bro, I'm, I'm not the only
2: one that dad didn't bother. I was like, what's going on with this cat? <laughs>
1: that's funny. I, I like to picture a young Thelonious just becoming enraged at that little dude, b- <laughs> <laughs> Like tossing his remote. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't throw anything. I didn't pay for anything in the house. It was with mom, so y'all
2: know I didn't toss nothing.
1: That's true, that's True, <laughs> true, true. Yeah, what's up, y'all? Chilling, man, chilling.
2: What's up, Leo? it been a minute, bro.
3: I know, I know. Happy to hear your voice, man. Yeah,
2: yeah, no doubt.
1: Back in the groove of things. Yeah, cool. Yeah, we were just talking about, um, you know, about uh, writers writing outside of their their experience, and uh, you know, which uh, a thing which uh, Jeremy does does very well throughout his books. Um, I agree with that. So, I so yeah, so just um, you know, bring that point back to Princeless. Um, you, I guess we you know honestly we could kind of also uh bring in bring in raven too because uh raven was was introduced uh in the pages of princeless um so talk talk a little bit about that i mean i i've I've definitely read where you've you've spoken about um you know how how things evolved with the introduction of raven um but yeah tell us a little bit about raven and how she uh came out of the princeless series
4: yeah so Raven started out as uh, sort of a free comic book day story, actually, because I, I needed to do. Uh, Action Lab wanted to feature it in a free comic book day book they were putting out, um, so the options with that were to either you know do a new story or do what a lot of these presses do and reprint something that was already out and disappoint everybody that had already bought it. Um, <laughs> and, and as you can tell, I hate that. <laughs> so like, I wanted to do a new story that would be uh you know new for people that were reading the book, but also something that people could understand who hadn't read any of it. So I figured the easiest way to do that was sort of pull in this new character from outside that can um you know learn everything as, as our readers are learning it. Um and in that we, we created Raven who was a, a princess who was also locked in a tower um who um Adrian decides to save um despite not really knowing anything about her and uh it turns out Raven is pretty capable herself, being the daughter of the, the pirate king, and, um, and sort of uh, that's, that's sort of where the first story ended. Is you know they uh, Raven sort of helped Adrian rescue her. Um, and I liked that story so much, and I liked the character of Raven so much that I, I decided I wanted to blow it out into a you know full arc of princeless and sort of explore what they were going to do, and um, I had a very real thing I wanted to do with, with Raven from the start, which is um, when we were, when we first launched Princess, we had a lot of support from the LGBT community. And there were a lot of people asking about um, Adrian's sexuality and, and uh, stuff in the story. And, you know, my answer to that was always sort of like, that's like, romance is not the point of this story one way or another. And that, you know, the, her whole thing is not, not needing somebody else to, you know, protect her, uh, it's not just about men or women or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I did want to do something with that, though, because I, I see that those fans were out there and, and wanted um, something like this themselves, which there there wasn't much of. So I wanted to give, to give that with Raven. And, um, you know, we sort of talk about that a little bit in the four issues she's in, but then, like, I liked that character so much and what we were doing that we sort of spun her off into her own book, which is still ongoing 24 issues later at this point. Um, and it's a big sort of large cast ensemble book with a lot of like uh, a little bit of action, a little bit of romance. It's, it's much more of like a soap opera than, than Princesses, Princesses more just a straight up fairy tale. So Jeremy, uh,
2: honest question. You basically have princesses, rescuing princesses, and and if she romantic, you know, kind of rom-com or or Disney um, uh, template, is this a a snub, uh, a diss of of typical Disney, you know, uh, template movies where the guy, protagonist, strong guy, square jaw, rescues the lady and saves the day? Or is this something that just came about organically?
4: I mean I think it's it's sort of a combination of those two, right? It's like I I love Disney stuff and you know, I, I grew up on uh a lot of the things that I, I sort of pick on in Princeless. Um, you know, there's a whole scene where she's trying to get some some just trying to get some armor. Um and all the armor they have for women is is ridiculous, you know, chainmail bikinis and stuff like that. Um and like a lot of that is a reaction to just things that like I grew up loving, but, like, looking back on them now, I've, I've realized how ridiculous they are. That You know, there's Zena uh, and Red Sonia and Wonder Woman are all sort of ridiculous in their own ways. And, uh, and I think it's all right to look at that stuff and, and you know, poke fun at the things you love and uh, realize how they can be improved. Um, and that's sort of... I think that was sort of my mission with a lot of the stuff in Princeless is to take all of this sort of fantasy stuff that I'd grown up loving... And sort of filter out the stuff that, as I got older, I was like, ah, it's kind of problematic. It's kind of weird that in you know Lord of the Rings, the the whiter a character is, the better they are, and then the darker they are, the more evil they are. Like that's kind of weird. Hmm. Um, doesn't sit right with me in the same way at you know at thirty something that it did in my teenage years. Um, seems a little strange that all the you know people from the east ride elephants and are evil. Um, so like, you know, I, I wanted to sort of, to some extent, poke fun at that stuff, to some extent, fix it and create a thing that like, I, I could enjoy and give to my daughter without being like, also, like, don't pay attention to the racism. There's some racism there. Just don't, just don't read it.
1: Yeah. Just, just, just look around the racism, right? Yeah.
4: yeah. Just, just, just so thing I... that's not racist.
3: It's interesting because uh, also talking just about like the the concept of like romance and these types of stories too, like I'm like and I'm and I'm like admittedly a sincere romantic, like not even being sarcastic, and yet I really hate uh, wedged in romance subplots and how they need to appear in and everything. And I feel like we're getting a little bit away from that in some in some popular narratives, but they're still like there's still some sort of strict adherence to it. Like it's just something that's expected. It's something that's easy and predictable. Uh, So I like the idea that, um, that that was like part of your approach as well. Like to sort of askew that. I mean, do you, do you feel the same? Like, do you find that like when you're, when you're reading stuff or or getting into movies or anything like that, that you see that you're sensitive to like, Oh God, here's the romance subplot.
4: (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because I'm I'm very much the same way. Like I'm I'm the first one in my family to, you know, tear up at emotional stuff in movies. And I'm the first one to, you know, get real like get real invested in some of these stories, Um, even if we're just watching like, you know, reality TV shows on Netflix. Like I still occasionally I'm just like, man. It's really touching how, how this bad they is get you. This.
3: <laughs> Oh, where yeah, like, Jersey Shore just tugs at your heartstrings
5: like <laughs> like
4: my uh my wife and I were watching uh Queer Eye on Netflix earlier and like this was you know watching this like old scraggly dude from Georgia like like get so excited and feel so good about like his life, where he hadn't before. I was like, "Oh man, this is just, this is real touching." <laughs> like they just gave him a haircut, and he's a whole different dude. Um, <laughs> you know, but like that—that that stuff always—it always gets me. But it's the stuff that's like that's real, right? That's what gets yeah. me is yeah. like when you can really see change in people, and when there's you know stories where characters have you know attributes stuff that you can see they can you can see them change and become you know better people or better characters through through the stories be it romance or not um it and it's so much different than when you're watching something where like that that subplot just doesn't belong and it's thrown in at the last minute and you can tell it's like it's some studio note studio. somebody thought this needed it yeah. right right
1: yeah, yeah the 90, 90s were notorious for for shoving in a romance big time.
3: Yeah. And I mean, like, I don't know if I'm, if I sound too optimistic when I want to, when I say like, I feel like we're getting a little bit away from it. It's still there, but I feel yeah. like people have, have, I feel like we're not the only ones to kind of see it like that. And that
1: no, I think, I think you're right. I think there's, there's definitely, um, I think some notable narratives where, where they, they dodge that. Yeah. Yeah.
4: So. yeah I mean, for, for better or for worse, Moana doesn't have, uh, romantic subplot at all um you know yeah she 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 has stuff to do yeah she has got a lot more emotional attachment to that chicken than she does to any dudes so (laughs) (laughs)
1: yeah uh so um yeah so you know princeless and uh so you have a new volume of of raven coming out as well
4: uh so we're we're wrapping up year two in the next couple of months and then uh hopefully later this year, we'll be starting year three of the book. So, um, we're, we're hitting up Let's see, we'll have. It's year two issue 13, which is the 25th issue overall of the series, um, should be out in the next couple of months. And then, um, yeah, that'll be up to six volumes on that. And then, uh, we'll be starting up year three, which we're doing a whole, it's going to be, (laughs) uh, it's going to be a real trying year for, for the girls. Lots of, uh, I think we're going to amp up both the, the romance and the, the risk elements of that. And so it's about to get real emotional up in here.
1: Oh, man.
0: Awesome. So I, I have a question. So, you know, I can tell that you're, you're a very busy person, you know, with all the stories and stuff. Can you talk about your writing style? Like, how are you able to basically go from thought to page and sort of sort all that out while you're doing, you know, multiple books and stories?
4: Yeah, I, I think, for me, it's it's nice to have uh, different kinds of assignments, different kinds of work. Because, like, um, in addition to Princeless and Raven, I'm also, you know, on contract doing Wasp stuff for Marvel and um, Rainbow Bright over at Dynamite and My Little Pony over at IDW. So I think, in a lot of cases, having these other projects to work on uh, a lot of which have a lot more guidelines than my own stuff um makes helps me kind of keep fresh if you know i'm stuck on something i can jump over to another thing and work on that and i think my my biggest thing style wise when i start writing is like to really sit down and work out information about the characters and then what i want the interactions to be like before i start writing cuz i think um something that a lot of people don't realize that they don't write or just start in writing is there's so much of that process that happens before you ever really, like, sit down in front of a word processor and t- start typing out a script. Um, you know, I've just got notebooks <laughs> notebooks, and notebooks around here full of, like, notes about characters, ideas for, you know, the sort of things they're into. Um, and, you know, every time I try to pitch something to Marvel, you know, I'll, I'll read you know, a year's worth of comics over a couple of days just to like catch up on these characters and and figure out what makes them tick and where what it is I relate to about them, what I like that I can sort of lock in and and go with. Um, You know, which was very much what I did with Unstoppable Wasp where like I read up on everything that was out there with the character and I talked to, you know, Mark Wade who created the character and I sort of figured out what it was I really liked about her and what made her special and then sort of amped that up in the book and, uh, you know, sort of use that as my jumping off point for, for creating what it ended up being.
0: Awesome. And also to follow up on that, I'm, I'm actually kind of amazed that you have, you have all these stories going on for, for different companies and knowing that, you know, you live probably outside of New York city. How are you able to sort of connect to these companies, you know, and still, sort of live your, you know, your life as a family man.
3: You're, you're about to say his his sequestered existence. <laughs> his hermitage. <niche. laughs> I'm
0: trying to be
4: nice. <laughs> my my life down here in, in Durham, North Carolina. Durham, uh, yeah, yeah. So that dirty Durham. Um, I, I think actually for me, in a lot of ways, it's it's easier just because I don't. I have an office that I need to go to. I don't really have anybody to report to other than to like sit down and write my stuff and then send it to them. Um, I, you feel know, like I, <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think it's basically, it's like any other work from home kind of job, right? Yeah. Like, you know, it, it's up to, it's up to you to be like, all right, I got to sit down and do this now. Um, which is, you know, I spend a lot of time writing at coffee shops because uh, I have a Switch and an Xbox One at my house. <laughs> and,
3: <laughs> yeah, I that, like that Switch can go with you. Don't forget.
4: Oh, <laughs> oh don't, don't. No, no no the Switch the Switch stays <laughs> on the <laughs> it stays on the the console. It it just needs to it needs to be there because like yeah if I if I try to sit down in my house and work on stuff like inevitably you know it's either somebody here who who needs my attention or um you know if not then there's there's all these like fun games to go play and things i could be doing um whereas you know at a coffee shop i have i have no option but to like sit there drink my coffee and and work on my work or i guess listen to like bad jazz music um <laughs> so like yeah it, it it allows me to focus and get stuff done I think that's the biggest component of like being able to balance other life stuff with writing is to to give yourself a, a time and a place where you can say, All right, this is my this is my writing time and my writing place. I'm gonna sit down and I'm gonna write uh until this is done. And that's uh I mean that's sometimes the hardest part of it is the until this is done part because uh my wife would much rather it be like until four o'clock and then done, uh, regardless of where I am, whereas I'm much more of a, like, I gotta finish this thought, I gotta get through this page, this scene needs to be done, I can't just quit here and then come back to it, I won't have any idea what I was gonna do before mm-hmm. But, I mean, that's, I think, that's the biggest thing for me, is is trying to shut everything else off, and out, and work on, you know, just this one thing um, And I think having multiple projects and stuff like that makes it much easier to beat things like, um, you know, like writer's block, because um, I mean, for one thing, if as a professional writer, if I don't write, I don't get paid and then I can't buy groceries. um, But also like if I have other things I can, you know, like, all right, I'm stuck on this thing. Let me process this in the back of my mind and I'll go over and work on this other thing that I
1: know what I'm doing on. So you mentioned the uh, the unstoppable wasp um and uh, I guess my uh, definitely I, I um give the the listeners like a rundown of of you know what you're doing with the series but one thing I wanted to ask you is I noticed that uh it, even though it's like a it's like a marvel book with a a character that was established prior to you coming on the series it definitely has your um you know, your, your, your writing spirit and your, your sense of humor and like, you know, a lot of it to it. So was it, uh, an instance of where they were aware of what you do and they said, Hey, we want you to put your stamp on this. Like, like, how did you come into that series? Um, so I had been uh,
4: harassing Tom Brevoort about, you know, getting work at Marvel for a while. And, um, you know, I'd been sort of hitting him up every few months. Um, and I had gotten a couple of, You know, short stories, there are one-shot assignments from them, um, you know, which I had done, I think, pretty well. Um, You know, we talked about the Miss United Nine Fist story. That was my my first thing I did for them. Um, And, uh, you know, I I kept annoying him, and at some point he was like, all right, we have this thing coming up that I I think you'd be a good choice for. You know, let me give you some more details about it and just sort of tell us what you think you would do with this character. And um, you know, I, I read up on her stuff and I, I got back to them and like I said, I talked to Mark to sort of see what you know, what he saw as the the better parts of this character. And then um and I, I sort of launched full tilt into to pitching it, and um largely what I pitched the first time is is what ended up going into that first volume, is you know, Nadia as this um, you know, young female scientists in the Marvel universe, trying to put together this lab of female scientists. Um, And, you know, my big sort of missions with that were that I wanted it to actually reflect the population of New York because so much of the stuff in the Marvel universe is supposed to take place in New York. Um, But, you know, for some reason there are very few like Puerto Rican people in, in that New York. Thank Um, you.
3: (laughs) Thank you. It's because they don't know how to draw them. That's why. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
5: <laughs> <God>.
4: <laughs> so like that was you know that was the big thing is like when when she's recruiting characters i was like yeah i want to make sure that you know we sort of reflect what what new york actually looks like in these characters so um you know we sort of went through the process of, of creating these um you know there's a, a young puerto rican character in there there's a young black woman in there there's a um young indian american woman in there um you know, and actually looks like New York Um, and, you know, all that stuff sort of made it straight through to what ended up being in the volumes. I I always felt like they had read my stuff. They knew what I did and I had done some stuff for them. And uh, I I try to remind myself of like, if they didn't like what I was doing, if they didn't want this to be what their book was like, they wouldn't have come to me because there's no shortage of other people out there writing stuff.
1: Right. Cool. Well, I mean, to that point, like, I, I you know, you mentioned that, that Nadia is, um, you know, in volume one is putting together a team of, uh, of women super scientists. And like, one of the things that I love, I think it was in the very first issue is that, you know, when she finds out about the quote unquote list of the smartest, um, you know, people in the Marvel universe, how um, it's, it's super male, even though, you know, Lunella has recently, um been ranked the smartest um person in the world like the list is overwhelmingly male and and you know like she really goes into the fact that it's because it's it's like an old boys network the people who are ranking the smartest people are all dudes um who are bringing up other dudes under them you know and so anyway long story short it's like there's uh like 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 I love that about this book because i mean like that's that's real that's real life I, it's one of the challenges that you know, a lot of um STEM fields are are trying to that, that people are trying to, you know, overcome. So like, yeah, talk a little bit about that. Um like I, I really like that element to the story. And I could see that being a thing that's uh very just informative, you know, in those industries. Yeah. I,
4: I think um it's really it. It's, it was really interesting to me that there were people that reacted like negatively to uh, that discussion in that book because, like, that's a real thing. Like, there's documented so you, you did, studies of it.
1: You did get blowback uh, about that.
4: Yeah, there were definitely people that were like, "Oh well, like this. This is just uh, blah 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 SJW nonsense." SJW, yeah. Okay. I know what you mean. Yeah, and it's like, well, like you can you can go listen to NPR and they will, they'll tell you about how like there's a bias there and it's, it is, you know, with these fields, it is sexism and racism, but it's not necessarily that particular person, but it's built into the system because like everybody that was there for, you know, so long was this and that people are programmed to see people that, you know, look and act and think like themselves and say like oh well i can see the potential in that person right like that person could have been me at that age and like that's just the way our brains work um it's like you you try to relate to other people um and you know when you're trying to fill positions in stem or comics for that matter you know you see somebody that like oh yeah he that person gets it um and you you know, you look for that kind of person to fill that role. Um, and this has been, like, a documented thing. Uh, it, it, I think it's an... To me, it was an interesting explanation within the Marvel Universe of how, like, this... Uh, you know, this uh, group of characters that we have out there that are recognizable superheroes reflects, in a lot of ways, the publishing history of Marvel Comics. Mm. Because, like... You know a lot of for a long time it was you know white guys writing white guys um and like they would they would make you know attempts to reach out and get different kinds of characters out there, but for the most part, you know the stuff that stuck was the stuff that they saw themselves in, and um you know those are the the characters that stuck around, and also to some extent in that publishing history, like when you look at science based heroes those were characters that were created in the fifties and sixties you know, where like science was, was like a force for good in people's minds. Whereas like later on you start, you know, getting much more science villains and very few characters that are, you know, have that basis in science that are heroes. They're much more like adventurers and freaks and nerds and things like that. Um, So like, that also just happens to coincide with like when we were started having more awareness of like getting female heroes in there and, and, you know, creating those types of characters. So like, we don't have a lot of female characters who were scientists in the Marvel universe, because like when we were creating the Hulk and Mr. Fantastic and uh, you know, Ant-Man, the female characters we were creating were Janet, who's a fashion designer and, uh, invisible woman who's a stay-at-home mom, and like you know, they're all characters that are great and brilliant in their own ways, but like they're not scientists because you know that was, I guess, not a reality to the people writing the books at that point.
1: Yeah, yeah, and there's a certain, uh I think, poetic justice in you tackling uh tackling that issue in in a, a wasp comic because even though it's not Janet Van Dyne, like if anyone who's read some of those early the very first avengers issues like it was pretty brutal like literally you know the wasps every line of dialogue would be about her makeup or or about how handsome thor was or like it, it, it was it was bad <laughs> like <laughs> and she wouldn't get to do anything cool so i mean it, the idea that we have like a, a modern wasp comic that's uh you know got a very empowering uh you know, female, uh, storyline and message is, is really dope. Thank you. Yeah. And I, I try and
4: keep that in mind. So, you know, I, I write Janet in the series as well, and she's a lot more in the new volume. Um, than she was in the first one. She's very much in like the last couple issues of the first volume. Um, you know, I wanted to make sure that, um, you know, it, that I don't write this as a case of like, Janet sucks, (laughs) you know, I I think Janet, it's great. And uh, I think there's a lot of like interesting characteristics to her, but I think they're, uh, they're not necessarily things that the the people who were writing her, you know, in the first, first few volumes of Avengers were like cognizant of, you know, being a problem and she's in this, you know, in, in modern days, she is a, uh, you know, she's a, fashionista but she's also a ceo and she designs clothes but she also runs you know what's left of pym labs at this point and she's she's a great businesswoman and uh you know she has a lot of i think strong points that maybe she didn't in those early volumes where she was just thinking about how how nice thor's hair is <laughs> and to be fair thor
1: does have nice hair He He He, he gets his L'Oreal on, definitely. I was
0: just about to say that. Um, So I have a a sort of a silly question, only because I'm really curious. So um, when you research, you know, like Marvel books, and you're trying to read, like you said, eight years of a character in one day, like, does Marvel force you to pay for those books? Like what if you want to read X-Men One? Like can they give you a digital copy of that? Or do you have to go out to like a comic book store, gather everything, and then do your research that way? I'm just very curious about this.
4: Yeah. Um Marvel has a lot of the stuff that they they can provide to me um digitally if if I know what to ask for. I think that's the trick of it is like um I think in a lot of cases, if I don't know a character very well that I, I'm going to need to write in a story that I want to write in a story, I'll go on to the you know various Marvel comics wikis that are out there and like try and figure out what the big stories are that I need to read, and then you know see if I can see if Marvel has them on hand. And If they don't, track them down somewhere else. Um, you know, there's plenty of stuff available digitally, so it's not like I have to go back through the the back issue bins and find stuff like they used to. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll try and do some mixture of the two. Um, you know, Marvel's been pretty good about, uh, if there's something specific that I need, uh, you know, hit me up with it and, and making sure that I, uh, am, am backed up or occasionally my, you know, editor will find something in a story that's like, oh, well, this, this doesn't quite work because of this thing that happened in this other issue of a book, Six months ago. Here's the run of that book, so you can see what's going on, so you can fix this. Um, so yeah, wow. I think yeah, I think editorial is is pretty good about being on the spot. Um, you know, they they know what's going on in other books in a lot of cases because they edit those books too. Um, and you know, the I think between the guys that have been there a long time and the the folks that have not been there as long, um, but are really dedicated in the current stuff, um, you know, they're pretty good at. Finding stuff and and making me aware of things that I might have missed.
0: I can almost imagine like a <laughs> a pseudo Jedi librarian, <laughs> you know, like oh, I'm looking for this. Oh, funny you should say that. It's in this volume, and they pull out something.
4: <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy. I don't think Marvel Comics has one person whose job is that, but I know that like Lucasfilm does, like. Oh. Lucas has like a guy whose job is to keep all the continuity straight
3: well i know I know Marvel has like a massive database of like power comparisons mm-hmm. so that they can like determine like who's stronger than who or like whatever. The only reason I know that is because I went to this uh this weird database management uh like evening seminar thing <laughs> where they like showed a little bit of it and they have all these like this base, like a clustered network of nodes. And it's like, well, this is, you know, this person's stronger than them. And this is how they're connected. And this is like, this is why they're the same and like, whatever. Um, but I've heard that I, I have, I've have seen behind the curtain in that sense. though um, so it's a little, little bit of a different thing
0: i remember seeing something like that um when we used to collect the little marvel cards i don't like oh like the
3: power levels yeah the power levels and these are
0: the many this is the number of fights spider-man lost or won and i was just like who counts this
3: yo marvel data marvel data is like hardcore they 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 have so much of it like they kind of have to yeah
4: Yeah, i mean there's you know there's a lot of a lot of comics in there um but yeah, they're they're pretty good. I think about keeping up with most of it and figuring out what works continuity-wise and making uh, no prizes for things that don't quite work. <laughs> figuring out ways to make them fit in. Um, but yeah, that's that's been the super helpful thing about doing stuff for you know uh, for Marvel. That's much more difficult with like my own stuff, especially Princeless stuff. Like at this point. Um, You know, this will be Volume 7 coming out. I've already written through Volume 10. You figure, like, that and then short stories. There are 44 issues of, or no, 46 issues of princeless comics out there somewhere. And occasionally I just write something and I'm like, I feel like I've written something about this before. (laughs) Do I need to go back through 40 issues of this comic and figure (laughs) out? where I'm contradicting myself. There's definitely been at least one point where like I wrote something in a script and then I had read, you know, the issue that was coming out and I was like, Oh no, I have to go back and fix the script because that doesn't make (laughs) any sense.
1: (laughs) But you, so far you've, you've always caught it before print, right? Like nothing's ever gone. No mistake in that vein is ever going to print.
4: I mean, there are some things that are a little, yeah, I think if you find questionable. one, you get, note, you get an official princeless of No Prize. <laughs> yeah, I feel like there are a couple of things that are a little questionable. And there are a couple of things that I have like gone back and like weirdly fixed in continuity. There's a there's a character that gives their name as a couple of different things in the story. <laughs> and There is now there's now definitely a, like a story reason for that.
1: <laughs> oh, cool. Well, it, it, yeah. it, it forces, uh, I guess, further creativity.
4: Yeah, you gotta you gotta be uh, on top of your game to make up BS to explain why you get your own thing wrong. <laughs>
5: right.
1: Oh man, cool, cool. Um, so, uh, oh, uh, in uh, I had I had another question about Unstoppable wasp, but uh, it's a very yeah. You know, obviously, Nadia is a super scientist, and like, there's a lot of science and science facts in the story. Like as I was reading it, I was very curious. Like, do you have a science background? Like, oh no. <laughs> no,
4: really. no, 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 uh, yeah, that's that's actually really funny because the the first, so the first comic I wrote that came out that has Nadia in it is an issue of Avengers that I co-wrote with Mark Wade, and um, it's definitely like when I wrote it, I wrote like really hand-wavy science stuff in the story. I was like, mm. and then science! <laughs> and everything's better. <laughs> and so, most people don't know this, but Mark Wade has a degree in physics? Um, so, uh, like, he was like, yeah, um, I'm gonna go back and fix this. Like, I'm gonna, you know, look into some some uh, theory stuff and pull up some, some magazine articles and stuff like this, because I, I, I think there's, you know, something, uh, something out there that'll work for this. So, you know, he he went back and actually put the science back in my science comics, um, which was, uh, that's handy. Yeah. Very handy. That was nice. And I, I think like then going into wasp, I was like, okay, I can't, I can't BS this (laughs) because it's all about, it's all about science. And theoretically, like it's going to be, you know, somebody that knows something about science reading this at some point. Um, and especially once we decided that, you know, in the the back pages of every issue, instead of doing a letters column, we were going to do interviews with actual, like, female scientists. I was like, all right, I have to have my science straight, because if, if this person who's a, you know, physicist picks up this book to, like, look, see their own, you know, uh, profile in the back... And I get a I get a shaming email from them later. That's like you could have asked me about this. Um, I'm gonna feel really bad. Um, so you know we made we made a decision we were gonna integrate science into it, and it obviously has sort of this jump between science and super science where you know stuff happens. It's uh, you know fictional, obviously, but um, we liked the idea of having like the science facts in there just because, you know, Nadia does know all this stuff and this stuff would be in her brain where it's not necessarily in my brain there. So, you know, having those little sort of cutaways where she sees the real science in a thing and breaks it down, um, were were things that weren't in my first couple of scripts that, uh, once I, once I got the art back for the first issue, um, it had like, Elsa had drawn sort of these cutaways of, the big robot that's in the first issue where like you could see the inside of the robot and how it worked. And I was like, okay, so in my head, that's Nadia seeing that and Nadia can look at the robot and see like, this is how it works. So what if we like wrote that into the script and like how, you know, how her brain works this stuff out. So, you know, there's little science facts scattered throughout all of which I've had to actually research because none of that stuff is actually in my head.
1: Wow. That's, well, I mean, it was very convincing, because I, I wouldn't have read it and been like, oh, man, this guy doesn't know science. So you definitely, yeah. definitely uh, pulled the wool. I was I was a decent science student, but I've always been
4: an English major. So, you know, I, I think I, I don't want... I, I'm very good at BSing, but I don't want... Uh, I don't want it to look and feel like I'm BSing, especially when, you know, I'm writing this character. I think that was... I think that's been the hardest part about writing that book is like writing somebody who's so much smarter than me (laughs) and like (laughs) trying to like not have them sound as dumb as I sound when they're discussing the, you know, stuff that should be everyday knowledge for them.
1: Right.
3: Right. No, that is an interesting tightrope. I used to think the same thing when I was watching, uh, you know Doogie Hauser when I was a kid. I was like, "Wow, Neil Patrick Harris is a fucking genius!" <laughs> like, like, look how convincingly he portrays this doctor. Um,
0: and, you know. and now you see him on these MD commercials. Yeah, right, right.
5: yeah.
3: yeah, I, yeah I may have been wrong about that, um, but but that but that's interesting. And and it's true. Like, I totally get the there, there's a there's a fear of being found out because you're like, shit, someone's gonna see right through this, and. I feel like if there was ever a point in comics history when that would be the case, it would be right now. (laughs) I'm sure people would call you on your shit if they saw it.
4: Yeah. I feel like so much of the stuff I write, uh, you know, storytelling stuff is is so easy to, you know, go back and rewrite and change up and, you know, figure out my stuff, figure out what something means after I write it. Uh, But like, science is real. Like (laughs) there are people that know this stuff. (laughs) I can't just make, I can't make science up. Um, Yeah, that's, that's difficult. I think it's been really interesting with that book in particular, because like, not only is she smarter than me, but she's also like cheerier and more optimistic than I am. So like, I just have a tendency to be sarcastic. And a lot of my characters tend to be sarcastic because I am. Uh So like, I write stuff for, you know, I write stuff in there for Nadia to say, and I look at it and I'm like, that's not, that's not Nadia. That's me. <laughs> that that line sounds like something an asshole would say, and that's not
1: her. Yeah, yeah. She's like she's extremely optimistic. Um, which uh, one of the things I thought was cool was, but being that you know, given that, like, she also uh, was was raised in the Red Room, you know, by the evil, evil, evil Russians, and like so you see there there are there's that that one fight scene where you kind of see her um some of that come out like you know where she's talking about her her, her martial arts training and um all the ways you can mess somebody up basically so it was it was an interesting dichotomy to see that she's she's super sunshiny but like you know i was kind of waiting for that cuz i was like there's no way you you came up in the red room and didn't have some type of a of a dark side that people could bring out of you
4: yeah, I mean that was that scene was really interesting to me because I, I wrote it the first time as really a, a Spider-Man y kind of fight scene where she's you know says some snarky one liners and then you know knocks somebody over a table and the fight's over. Um, but then I was like, ah oh, this this kid grew up being trained to like assassinate people. Like that's how she knows how to fight. And at the point that like, you know, she she seems like a real nice, sixteen you know, year old girl who's you know wearing and she's wearing pretty dresses and being super nice to everybody but at the point that like you punch her in the face and piss her off like you're gonna see a different side of that and uh i mean that was another thing where i did research because i was like i want i want this fighting style to seem realistic because you know as a as a girl who's you know you know she's a relatively a uh, small person height wise in the Marvel universe. And she obviously doesn't weigh much. So I was like, I had to make something that, that actually makes sense for her to fight. Um, so, you know, I definitely like, I went with Krav Maga and like, it's very, it's a very interesting thing to see in a comic book because comic books are so about like, you know, just punching people and they're not being like realistic consequences. Whereas right. Krav Maga is about really screwing people up, <laughs> you know, Craft Maga is about, like, gouging eyes and breaking knees and stuff like that. Yeah.
3: Yeah, Yeah, this, yeah. Rem- Marcus, this reminds me of, like, you know, when we were figuring out the fight scenes for Snow Days. Right. We were, like, we don't, you know, there's, there's a sort of inclination to want to make, like, yeah, a, 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 you know, a Biff pal <laughs> right, right. it's a comic. Yeah. <laughs> like, kind of, like, inclined to that for some reason. But then we're, like, they're, like, young people. Like, they're just... They're just being kind of dirty and just yeah, yeah. getting hits in like that can't, <laughs> can't really go down like, uh, you know, some informed martial arts thing. <laughs> uh, so but it's interesting that like it it does feel like uh and I mean, the, I, and I think this is a fallacy that the that the medium almost wants it or it feels like it wants it sometimes. And then when you see it, when it doesn't do it, it really stands out. You're like, oh, like that's a realistic fight. I remember um, Thelonious isn't on the call anymore, right? Yeah, he. he uh, I remember that was one of his big comments for uh, for Gray Williams, uh, uh, Gray Williamson's. uh, uh, Balmar, Balmar. Balmar, yeah. Yeah, like that was one thing with Balmar. And and Gray Williamson, I guess, like, has some, like, informed knowledge about martial arts. So, like, the fighting in that is very interesting, and, like, Mm -hmm. it's not your typical comic book fight. Uh, So, there is something really special when you. When you think about how fighting works in comics, that sounds so dumb to say it out loud, but that's that's the truth
1: yeah, no, no, do, y'all, had... do y'all remember how like the just the, all the 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 talking that would happen in a panel of you know where where somebody was getting punched they yeah, would like literally yeah. be getting punched, and they would they'd speak a whole paragraph like yeah, yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was it was real interesting for me because I feel like
4: like. Like I said with princels, I've been writing for comics for a while, but like uh I think last year I got this job writing a uh Thor versus Hulk miniseries and um you know leading up to Ragnarok coming out, and I was like at some point I was trying to outline it and I was like, This is I've been writing comics for seven years and this is the first time where like I wrote a story where two big dudes punch each other. Like, how does that work? <laughs> Like how am I supposed to just write a story Where like they fight How does that work I
3: don't Mm -hmm. understand Yeah you got the opposite problem
4: Yeah I'm busy (laughs) writing stories where people are getting their hair done And you know (laughs) Riding dragons and
1: stuff So We need that balance
4: Yeah Yeah
1: So, um, so this is right about now is about the time we usually kick into the, uh, the chat portion of the show where we, you know, talk about what's, uh, what we've been reading, what's going on, what's, what's happening in the world. Um, so yeah, I'll kick it to you first, Jeremy, uh, between like all your writing and everything, like, have you been watching anything that stands out or, or reading anything? Um,
4: I haven't been watching much other than, uh. I bought Infinity War and watched that again. Um, we were talking about all the cool stuff that was coming out that I hadn't seen. Um, yeah, I watched The Incredibles Two finally and that was uh that was real fun. I think the big thing that's uh that locked up a chunk of my time recently is I started reading the uh Jonathan Hickman run on Fantastic Four. Okay. Which uh I I think I consumed all of that within like three or four days. It's <laughs> oh. a lot of comics. And it's a lot of really yeah, good a, comics. Run. Yeah. I hadn't run any of it. And it had always been one of those things that was sort of sitting on the bubble, uh, you know, waiting for me to, to check it out. But with Fantastic Four coming back, I was like, All right, this is the point where I'm gonna I'm gonna bite the pill and just just do it. And um yeah, I, I tore through it. It's an extraordinarily good run made up of like just all these all these stories that seem like smaller stories, but the further you get into the run, you're like, Oh no, this is all building into a really big thing. Like I didn't realize that they were tying all this together while I wasn't paying attention.
3: All right. I got, I got to check it out. I haven't read fantastic four in ages. I probably haven't read fantastic four since Warren Ellis. Honestly.
4: Yeah. yeah I it's it's read a, a masterclass and I'm, I'm really like I'm looking forward to the new fantastic four. I, I really like
1: the first issue and, um, I'm thinking it's yeah, gonna be it's got, uh, Sarah Pacelli on it, right? Drew the art. Oh yeah. I gotta I gotta get into that. Definitely. Um what about you, Leo?
3: Um man, I've been I've been doing I've been writing a lot of gaming content, so I've been playing like a shitload of games. Um recently uh I posted a uh a review of the game Dead Cells for Nerds of Prey. Um, I don't know if any of y'all heard the news around that particular game, the ignoble news about the IGN writer who was busted for plagiarism. Are we up on this news? Mm. Do y'all hear about this? Actually, I'm not, no. So so there's this guy who, and he's not a freelancer. He's a staff member, former staff member. Um, And he had posted um, a review. He did, I guess, a lot of their Nintendo content, a lot of videos. And he posted a review of Dead Cells, which recently launched on the Switch, um, which, by the way, Jeremy, if you have a Switch, is a really good game. You should check it out. Um, but uh, he, uh, the day his review came out, a relatively small-time YouTuber, he had like 13,000 subscribers, realized that uh, Musin's review cribbed from his quite severely. And he did like a YouTube video that was a compare contrast. It went viral, got over a million hits. IGN investigated. They fired him. They unpublished his review and they had to re-review it by another writer. And then after that, the guy went off on this like apology, uh, you know, journey and wrote and like delivered a non-apology on YouTube, which he then deleted. Uh, and then IGN and Kotaku have been investigating people on and they found that tons of this guy's articles for IGN have been mar- like mostly plagiarized. Uh, this dude basically just like had years as a video game journalist and spent a lot of that stealing from people.
1: How could you think you could get away with that? in the modern era, There's, like so many ways to get busted. Oh, it's that you gotta have that white man energy, market. You got <laughs> it. In the white your voice, the white heart. Yes, yeah,
3: yeah. yes. You gotta, if you, you know, if you believe it, it can't, it can't be made real. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like he apparently got away with this for years, and they're still kind of pouring through his stuff, and like IGN is like insanely looking into their backlog and like unpublishing all of his reviews as they find that they've been cribbed. Oof crazy so that but interestingly i think that that put a lot of good press for that game which is a very good game it's like incidental advertising for a game which a lot of people love already but um yeah so I, I reviewed that on the switch i reviewed death's gambit recently i reviewed something for ready set which is a new outlet i've been doing stuff at um so i've been like i feel like i've been playing like i've been playing more than i've been like watching and reading even lately um which is i mean i play games but i feel like i've been playing probably more more than usual i played a little bit of the beta for the new call of duty game it is a, it is a call of duty game and i really? put it <laughs> yes <laughs> the new call of duty game attention is a call of duty game it works like they all do and it's sort of not great i don't know it's not really my bag call of duty just doesn't you know
1: I, th- I, don't, I don't see you being easily indoctrinated into the military-industrial complex.
3: You know, it's weird, right? Because, like, you, you start to wonder, like, I think we have a different picture of the military. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm saying we, like, very generally speaking, now than, like, maybe 10 years ago or maybe when Call of Duty first started going. You'd kind of think that there'd be, like, a withdrawal <laughs> from that uh, aesthetic or, uh, or, or, you know, like, tonal pursuit in a video game. But there still isn't, and it's yeah. Like I remember a long time ago, there was a big, uh, a big, uh, you know, thing that that went went down in the news where people found out that like Call of Duty was actually getting paid by like real gun companies. Yeah, put their actual guns in the game, which they don't do anymore. They withdrew that. Like apparently, they don't have those. Like they, I mean, they were exposed, and so they stopped doing it. But yeah, you'd kind of think that there would be like less. Like, I mean, my main game is Overwatch, and there's nothing realistic about that. It's just a bunch of cartoon characters, you know, shooting each other with cool weapons.
1: Yeah, I don't even game that much these days, but I got to tell you, like, I think there is something to be said for, especially if it's a shooting game, for it not being hyper-realistic in some way. Right, right. Like, I think, I think Max Payne 3 was a masterpiece, but I had to play that game in chunks. Like, if I, if I played that game, like, just, like, straight through, Mm-hmm. I would just start to feel really off. I mean, number one, Max Payne is a character. Like you're really I think one of the things that's so masterful about the storytelling is his, you know, S uh PSD, you know, adult, drug adult mind. Yeah. The game really reflects that. But like even just when you've shot your hundred and fiftieth person through the head realistically, I like with, with a close-up, yeah, it just feels weird after a while.
3: Yeah, it, it, it was odd because, like, I do really like that game. And I love Max Payne 1 and 2. Like, Yeah, yeah me too. Like, those, are, those are just treasures. But, yeah, like, Max Payne 3, I like I liked the things they did in the story and the, like, kind of making it real. But at the same time, it was sort of, like, the least playful game in the entire series. Like, all the games had a sort of playful creativity to it. Yeah. And that one was just like this is a this is a game about shooting shooting russians in the head and that's all it's about.
1: Well, and, and I would argue it was also and about percent. offering uh <laughs> yeah it was also about offering like, you know, realistic consequences for all of the stuff we saw in the first two games. Right, right. You know what I mean? Right. It was almost like, well, this is the natural evolution of a guy that's shot a million people through the brain.
3: Right. Like, it's all just not, like, fun and games
4: and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I I definitely tend to prefer, like, for first-person shooter stuff, the the stuff that's less realistic and more more fun. I think as I've gotten older, I I feel like I've started to reward games for weirdness. Like... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. It's it's so funny to me that, like... So, I I got the Switch a little while ago, and, like, I got the Switch to play Legend of Zelda Um which is amazing. Which I yeah, which I almost completely haven't done at this point because I played a little bit of it and I was like, oh wow, this is a big sandbox. I'm gonna have to like really prepare myself to come back to this. And I started playing Super Mario Odyssey and I was yep. like this game is so dumb and I love it. <laughs> like <laughs> I love that I just possessed this frog for no apparent reason by throwing my hat at it. Like this is great. Uh, like do you, just do, you the, the, your- the, do you like play what's games? That?
3: Do you game with your family? Like, do you play, like, multiplayer games together or anything
4: like that? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, I, I try to play. I play a lot of the Lego games with my daughter, which is, that's a mixed bag. Um. <laughs> no, definitely. There is something, if you
3: haven't played, there is something that you need to play because if you, this is, like, one of the best games ever, and it's on Switch. The sequel just came out for Overcooked. Have you ever heard of Overcooked.
4: Overcooked is a game that's going to tear my family apart. Right? <laughs> <laughs> my my daughter and I were playing that game, and I think I I think I gave my seven year old daughter anxiety playing that game. You were, like
3: yelling, like go do
4: the thing or like whatever. <laughs> All right, okay. Yeah, I'm like go over, go go to the thing. No, dude, not that thing. Dude, why would you do that? Why are you doing that thing you're doing right now? It's not getting <laughs> us any closer to being done. You now you're just standing there. Why are you just standing? Okay, I'm just gonna do all of this. Never mind.
3: No, I can I can see that. it's such a fun game, but no, I can see the yeah the intensity of it. Um, it is very. I, I don't know if y'all have ever played Overcooked, but it's fantastic. I haven't. No. It's like this cartoon. Even have an intent. Well, you can play. It's on PC. It's on a few other platforms, but it's just this game where like you play. You, you're one to four chefs. In, like, crazy, surreal, bizarre kitchens. Like, there's a kitchen in the middle of the highway. And you have to, like, dodge cars. And there's, like, a kitchen on a pirate ship. And, like, when the pirate ship, like, slips back and forth, like, all the, like, you know, of the oven and all the surfaces move (sighs) around. And you have to, like, make meals together to appease this, like, Onion King. It's a fantastic game. But it is, like... It's it's a game about yelling at each other because <laughs> you're like no what are you doing no give me the burger like you're yelling absurd things about
0: that sounds okay. stressful
3: it's so good, bro.
0: It's so <laughs> it sounds good. stressful
4: oh, it's, yeah it's it's definitely like that ended up stressing me out I, I found that like the stuff that my daughter and I can play together the best is stuff where like I can play the game and she can go wander aimlessly and like okay. look at the you know, look at the surroundings because she's like. She really likes the creative aspect of things. She loves like Minecraft and uh, uh, you know Lego Worlds or uh, I don't know if you played Grow Up.
3: Um, oh, Grow Up is but, great. Grow yeah. Up, yeah,
4: fun, yeah. Grow Up is her her jam. Like she loves you know wandering around and finding new weird ways to throw her giant to throw her tiny robot hundreds of feet into the air um, and not have to worry about it. Yeah, that's that's really like what she loves to do. So. Yeah, we played some of the Lego games together, although the fact that some of those are just, just absolute garbage um, they is, are. is a little they annoying. Are. They are. Uh,
3: which, one, which ones have you actually liked? I haven't played like all of them, but I played some of them, and like I like the Indiana Jones one a bit.
4: Um. So I don't think we ever played Indiana Jones, because she's not. She's just not familiar with Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the Lego... Marvel superheroes ones uh-huh. are pretty good. Um, one Lego Marvel superheroes is pretty good. Lego Marvel superheroes two is pretty good now that they've patched it. Um, okay, <laughs> when it first came out, it had a lot of a lot of problems. Um, the and then like um, the more recent Lego Batman's are very good as well. I um, played one of those. I
3: haven't played. I, I think I played the first one, not the second one.
4: Yeah. If, if you ever want to be just outraged at the state of the gaming industry, you can play Lego The Hobbit, um, <laughs> uh-huh. which, which came out between the second and the third Hobbit movie. Um, mm-hmm. So they decided to uh, basically tell the story of the first two movies in it and then later release the third movie as, a, uh, as downloadable content. But then the game didn't do that well, so they never released the third story's downloadable content. Oh no. So the game just ends with smog flying out of the, the mountain. That's it. The game's over.
3: Wow. That you know, it's crazy because um because like it, it I mean it's not crazy, it sort of makes sense because I heard that they had a lot of restructuring there and like they canceled like a bunch of Lego things they were doing. There was like there was that they had some Lego game thing where you actually got legitimate Legos. You ever heard of that? It was like you got like Lego pieces and connected it to like your your console with some like interface device, and they actually had to like totally cancel that because like they lost all this money and it was
4: kind of over. Yeah, they had they had a thing Dimensions. It's kind of right. like Skylanders. That's right. That's, right. That's where, right. Yeah, it's yeah. I I looked at that. My daughter was like. Let's get this and i was like that looks like hundreds of dollars <laughs> yeah,
3: it's, true. it's true no skylanders is like a reason to print money like i mean that,
4: that's yeah, like i have already I'm, wasted a lot of money on skylanders oh
3: really oh no that's like that's like that's that's kid drugs that's just wrong <laughs> if i had that when i was a kid that would be my whole life if that existed when i was a kid all i would do was like lust after those
4: yeah, action figures that you can play on a video game is a very good concept. <laughs> it's a very good idea.
3: No, it's it's so it's it's good and it's ter- terrible that, that that some that a, that a bunch of people in suits design that and they're just preying on our children with that genius. <laughs> uh, yeah, um... Tony, you don't play games, right?
0: Actually, um, I'm starting to play a lot more. Um, what are you playing now? That system you got. I have PS4.
1: Okay.
0: Okay. So, um, and I'm a little backtracked on my game. So my next new game that I'm planning on getting is going to be that Spider-Man game coming out. So right now I've
4: just. That looks good. I watched people playing that at San Diego and um, it looks so good.
0: Yeah, like, yeah, it does.
3: Every, were you? Did, did anybody hear like, were you all players of this of Spider Man 2 on the on the PS2? Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. well, you know, I was, Leo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that me.
3: was, yeah. yeah, that was a big game. That was a big game when that came out.
4: That was like a moment in gaming. When that yeah, yeah, out. It, it, yeah it, that game is why I bought a PS2. So, so there <laughs> yeah.
3: you go. Yeah, isn't it, isn't it funky how the PS2? Uh, Or the PS3 like font looks just like the Spider-Man font. I swear that's like Ah. subliminal messaging. (laughs) They're like the Spider-Man console. Think about this.
4: Sony.
1: (laughs) (laughs) True. True.
3: No, it's true. Yeah, like they're just gonna grab it. Boom. Done. It was smart. (laughs)
1: I don't know yeah, that, no. game, that game might make me level up to a PS4. I'm still on a PS3.
3: It looks good. I mean, I well, you said you saw people playing it at a San Diego, Jeremy. Did what did you think like from just how it
1: It, it looks
4: that? gorgeous. That yeah. is That was one of the couple of games that like I stopped to look at people playing and then thought about getting in line to play and then it was like this line is too damn long. I'm going to keep walking. <laughs> it there was that and uh, Smash Brothers were both set up at various places. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It's like Oh, this looks the, the beautiful. Is the same Smash Brothers I'm... that
0: killed uh, Luigi?
4: <laughs> uh, didn't, yeah, they backtrack that? didn't they backtrack
0: that? I don't know the whole story with that. Yeah, I
1: don't either. I saw it, but I didn't I didn't really follow through on it. Yeah, what's the deal with that, Tony?
0: <laughs> oh, I, I have no idea. I don't. I, I would love to get uh, a switch and start playing smash brothers, but apparently there was some sort of uh, movie either in one of the games or something that they were releasing and he just got murked. He just got, he got, and, and what it really was, was, I guess, sort of this, um, preview of the fact that their castle in the game is the castle from Castlevania. So, um, because they re- they announced that Simon Belmont is now going to be, a part of the, the, the game. Yeah, yeah. Um, and of course, that just, however that means, it just means <laughs> a dead Luigi, which I thought the scene was great, but apparently he's okay, which whatever.
1: Sounds, sounds <laughs> very Infinity war Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know.
0: I know. So what I was saying was that right now I'm just sort of like blowing through um, what am I playing? Uh, The DC game. See, I'm not good at it. Oh, oh uh, Justice injustice 2 oh really yeah. Okay. okay yeah i got i ended up getting like during amazon day they were selling like injustice 2 like the ultimate edition for like 20 bucks i was like i'm getting that um so i've just sort of been practicing playing that game uh i was a big injustice fan when it first came out but oh
3: really yeah, life happens. I've seen all the finishers on YouTube. That's that, that's yeah. what I've done. That's my playing. Well,
0: experience. I used to be to the point where I could play everyone and I could I could beat everyone, and then I would start playing online, and then oh, really? Upset oh, yes, yeah, Whatever. Yeah. So people yeah, thought, I was really getting. I was getting up. to that point. <laughs> people used to curse at me and stuff like that, but uh, um, then life happened, and I, and I couldn't play as much as I wanted to. Right. Um, so yeah, I'm, I've been playing that. I. I actually wrote a game review of Battlefront 2 for Nerds of Prey right, as well. Okay. Um, so that's another game that I love. It's a shoot-up game, but it's not as good as the – obviously, it's not as good as the first one, so I was kind of disappointed at that. Um, but, yeah, I, I try to play every so often, but, you know, work and life happen. So. Yeah. But I, I have my eye on that Spider-Man game.
1: Hmm. Cool. Did you
0: hear that, like,
3: total tinfoil hat thing about Smash Brothers? About how, like, well, if Simon Belmont's in the game and Simon Belmont only kills vampires, that means that all the characters huh. in Smash Brothers are actually vampires. <laughs> <laughs> like, that has to be the case because otherwise he wouldn't be fighting them. That definitely sounds but he important. He
0: other things. Uh, you know anything? what? I'm not even. Not even.
3: (laughs) Don't go down. All sorts of floating Medusa
4: heads and.
0: Yeah, and the ghosts and
3: the zombies. zombies. I think those are still related. They're they're somehow vampiric or like empowered by Dracula's energy.
1: I think that theory is. uh, It it all goes back to QAnon. Stop it. it. (laughs) Too too soon. Um,
0: we tried this political thing last show. No, 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 it didn't
1: work. This is escapism. This is escapism. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah. Oh, so uh, you know, Tony, uh, you had put uh, Voltron on the on the dock. I'm still. I, I I was thoroughly chastised for not being caught up on uh, Voltron earlier this week by one of my students. You know, they were they were, they were talking about Voltron. Uh, and I was like, yeah, I love that show. Blah blah blah. And they started talking about like season seven stuff. And I was like, "Oh, no. I'm still on season three. and like the, the Ooh, level of disgust. No, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> I, I'm well, here's the thing: season five is like four episodes. Like you can catch up really yeah, quickly.
1: Yeah. I, I'm going to. I'm going to. You know what I mean? So. Well, no, I've been I've been hearing just everybody just tells me that it's uh, it gets real really real. I thought I thought it's really real at it the gets point. Up, yeah.
0: Oh no, it gets real. I knew it, the season seven. I'm not done with, but I know that there is uh, there's a lot of controversy kind of controversy about the fact that um, some characters' life decisions. I'm not going to spoil it for you because I really do want you to see it. Um, but a couple of life decisions that were made. I think some mm-hmm. people were wondering if they would sort of delve deeper into relationships uh, that haven't happened. I and have that semi spoiled. There's back. a character. I I about. Yeah okay, so, but season six that shows up in season 7 and disappears. And I'm like, are we not getting back to this person? So I think it's stuff like that. I don't know if it's suffering from the fact that they're coming out with so many episodes and maybe they're just not writing as well as they used to, but season 7 is is probably not the strongest um, from what, I've, what I'm i seeing, but it's, it's still very interesting. I'm still a fan. Um, but you know we'll see what happens. Personally, I I'm hoping that they introduce the vehicle Voltron just 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 to do it. Oh, you know what I mean? they're going to do hit so many I hope so. Like cuz they have hit so many of the themes from the right. old Voltron you know, show, yeah. including some of the themes from the vehicle Voltron that it's like it kind of makes sense the way the story is going mm-hmm. in season 7. Um so I hope so cuz I mean I was a fan of the line one but I think seeing the vehicle Voltron in this format might actually be really cool.
1: Oh yeah. Mm. Speaking, speaking of which has, has anyone tried to uh, go back and watch the original Voltron like yeah, a long
3: time ago. ago and it's terrible. Oh, oh. It's terrible. Like, unwatchable.
1: <laughs> uh I had such warm memories of it and I was like oh. nah. Yeah. You start that's, really thinking a about the story
4: of all my stuff from my childhood. Trying yeah. kind to of go back and watch the yeah. old He Man stuff.
1: Oh yeah, oh God. I can't He-Man. Watch He-Man. Oh. I Yo, He Man is hands down the worst though.
4: <laughs> yeah, I was I was so confident. I tried to show my daughter the He Man She-Ra movie where they introduced She-Ra oh, no. and I was like, she's gonna love this. After the same like Five second clip of He Man punching a dude was used for the twenty fifth <laughs> time. I was like, "Oh, wow, this is bad, like objectively bad." Okay, all right. Yeah, I'm... <laughs> yeah now I'm. I'm a little. I'm a little behind on Voltron. Remind me, that is uh, he is a giant robot with a sword who's made up of five lions. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, yes that's correct. Okay. <laughs> I mean objectively that's the coolest shit but honestly I haven't watched any I haven't watched any Voltron
1: <laughs> no they, they did well with it they they took something that was I think it was a cool concept as kids And I yeah think five lions it. that make
4: a giant robot with a sword like that's pretty cool so along, cool Power yeah, Rangers did it again with like 30 years later 40
0: cars yeah no, it's, yeah, no,
3: but I mean, that's the, like, I mean, let's, you know, I mean, not to be, not to be rude to the OG, but like, you know, like Voltron was just
1: designed to sell toys. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything from our childhood yeah. was. It was good. a toy. It was a toy. We, we actually, were like the, we were literally the, the guinea pigs for just, yeah. Yeah. Toys, toy movies. Movies.
4: You know, yeah. you know, what's rude about that is like Voltron did it. And then Power Rangers was like, what if instead of oh, five God. different colored <laughs> lions, they were dinosaurs? And everybody was like.
1: Well yeah, oh duh. Like, yeah, that's pass. better. <laughs>
4: yeah. That's way better. Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh man. Uh, that's, that's, uh, <laughs> well, speak, speaking of Voltron, uh, did I did anybody see the uh the Star Wars Resistance trailer? I I felt like it had it had some for me, it evoked a little bit of, of, of a Voltron feel.
3: Oh really? No, I haven't, though it, like the, the screen grabs I saw were cool.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's on YouTube. I gotta check it out. Uh, I like it um you know obviously uh we had uh clone wars and then rebels and this so they they did um somewhat switch the the animation style and it's it's uh but i think it, it does it does feel a little bit like rebels did you see the trailer tony
0: oh yeah i saw the trailer i was all over it i mean i, I will say that the, the the animation style i'm not a fan of yet um but it does come across like it's a kid show, but mm-hmm. Rebels did that too. Yeah, like the yeah. first season of Rebels, when it came out, I was like, I can't watch this. And then Darth Maul came in like season two and all this stuff started happening. I was like, damn it, now I got to go back. Yeah. So um, I have the feeling that they'll probably start out as the nice friendly resistance and everybody's just looking to do stuff and then Kylo Ren's going to start killing people and then it'll get really
1: good. Oh, yeah, you know um, they're going to break, break your heart. That's what I think. Oh,
0: yeah. It's so I, I am looking forward to it. I will say that there seems to be a lot more um, diverse characters yeah. um, so far that I've seen in the show. But I am definitely looking forward to it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, me too.
3: Uh, to, to rewind slightly to the conversation we were just having, mm. has anybody ever gone back to the G.I. Joe movie? Not the live action, the original animated.
1: I I always mean to have. I haven't yet, though. What? What? What's the verdict?
3: Yeah, because I loved it as a kid. Tony, how how
0: bad is it? (laughs) It's terrible. It's terrible, but it's laughingly
1: terrible, though. Because
0: my thing is is that I can still I can still watch it and just laugh throughout the whole movie. You know what I mean? It's not like to me, it's not unwatchable. Um, But there are things where it's just like, what the fuck is happening here? You can say the same thing
4: about the live-action GI Joe
0: movie. that I can't watch. That I can't
4: watch. (laughs) That's only a couple years old.
3: But like, Um, but like, I always like the thing I always use to compare all these things to, which I I feel like you know what I'm going to say is Transformers the movie. Yes, Mm because I think Transformers the movie is still pretty friggin' good.
0: Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, and and I blame the Transformer movie for G.I. Joe being terrible because they scarred everyone by killing Optimus Prime that <laughs> they were going to do the same thing to Duke and they were just like, oh no, he just got better and I'm like, come on.
3: Yeah, yeah. But you get to, I remember you get to see Cobra Commander without his mask for the first time. Yes, yes. And, uh, I remember there the these crazy organic machine. Yep. Fighter, yep. like, that,
1: mm-hmm. like weird that blew organic my tech. mind as a kid.
3: Yeah, me too, yeah. man. Like I was heavy into it. Uh and yeah, but it is bad, huh?
0: It, it's, it's it's bad. But, you know, it, there's still parts that are cool. Like, the opening scene, the opening montage has always been great to me. Uh-huh. Uh, and then the way the movie opens with that girl running through um, the defenses of Cobra. I think it's Cobra. And she's, like, you know, messing everybody up because I think she's trying to get to Cobra Commander. I believe so. I haven't seen it in a while. But um, there are parts of it that are really cool Until until it's not. <laughs> you know, <laughs> then you forget that people... Don't hit each other with lasers, you know, like everybody misses and except for the the Joes and then you get annoyed by it. So it's there are parts of it which are OK, but, you know, what can you do? They weren't going to kill people in these in this movie. Ra- random question.
3: And then we can get back to what we were talking about um, on on some panthro shit is Destro Black.
1: He, i think so he isn't but he is his
0: chest is white no 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 i think white, he's a he's light-skinned black. black i think he's a light-skinned oh, okay. black <laughs> yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. he's he's, re- he's reflective like the light as it gets It's yeah he could have been passing yeah yeah no, no, that, that that. Black. i always yeah. read it read him as black but i yeah. i don't know if people really talked about it
0: all right okay he, he
1: was he was
0: yeah okay Right, he was black, just as just as Panther was. Yeah, he was Right, he was Panther black. All right.
1: Yeah. Oh, right, we we put a fork <laughs> in the Panther argument. Panthro was no, that's decidedly that's black. Yeah, that's good. Right. If, if if anyone's still debating it at this point, I don't even I don't know what your life choices are about. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's what
4: was wrong with he man. There's
1: no character that's gonna be like,
4: maybe that guy's black there. Yeah, yeah they're listen, always... you didn't want
0: to
1: go there.
4: Yeah, I not want to go there. Yeah.
1: there. There's not a single there I don't think there is anybody, right? Not even any obligatory... Oh no, no, no there was one dude cuz I had the action figure. Who I remember? I don't know, but that's that's the thing. I think he was very much a side character. I just got him cuz he was black.
3: I, I was think I want yo I mean I'm going to piss some people off who are he man fans right now, but I think Orco's kind of a minstrel. Yo, yeah. God, <laughs> he's <kind of> minstrel <laughs> black. Wow. <laughs> he is <man. sighs> like <cow>.
0: Oh yeah.
3: <laughs> Uh, it's not a good thing. It's I
1: don't remember. I don't
3: remember right. there being be, be a, be a black person. In, in
1: yeah, he must have been a very much a side character. I just remember so having. You got a
3: like the Bob the Goon action figure of He Man, of
1: Masters Gross. of the Universe. Yes, uh, he was expensive. <laughs> they all had the same uh, plastic mold, so they all had the same. That's
3: true.
0: Project. No, like all of their pecs
3: <laughs> and abs were just like
0: point percent. Oh, I got you. I got you. His name was, his name was Zodiac. Yes, yeah, oh, yeah, I think that's his. Oh, well,
3: when you said that, hold on. You know,
0: they, and and actually, you know who I thought was kind of black—the Stratos, the guy who could fly, the, who looked like a bird he was all gray. <laughs> oh yeah,
1: yeah. He
0: kind of looked like he might have been, but yeah, Zodiac. Okay. It like one episode.
3: Wow, these okay. figures were <laughs> so goofy. Looking they
0: work. Okay, <laughs> they so yeah.
3: were. I love them so much <laughs> I was a kid with Jesus Christ.
4: Yeah, I was uh, I was in uh St. Louis at uh Blueberry Hill and they have a whole bunch of like old toys on display in there and they had um they had some masters just the universe, but they also had the eighties like rock and wrestling figures. Do you remember those? The, like, oh my god, I oh, yes. Yes, yes. Oh um, man. The ones that you literally like you play with by beating your your brother with them, like that's right. that's how it works. But yeah, like those those things were like, I was looking at this and I was like, oh, these are the worst toys. <laughs> I love these things, but like, oh, like they're just hard rubber. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh no, wait, not, not to sidetrack, but I I I uh just asked Google Tony and it's actually not Zodak. Not at least not the one that I had. It's actually Clamp Champ is the dude. Stop. <laughs> Stop.
0: You know what? Yes. I, come on. What? Yes. Oh my god, I see him. It's <laughs> Clamp Champ. Oh my god.
1: <laughs> That's the dude. Oh, He's Clamp Champ.
3: My. Look, this is like a John Henry dude. He's like yeah, like a yeah. fantasy universe John Henry.
1: I think they basically were like, yo, what if we put Luke Cage, like old Luke Cage, into Master of the Universe? Oh
3: my God, yo. <laughs> clamp champ. Wow. Who made
1: this matter of fact, matter of fact, when wow. we were at my parents' house, uh, my daughter just happened to be looking through a bunch of my old stuff and she found my clamp champ and she just thought it was Luke Cage. She was like, oh, you got <laughs> a Luke Cage action figure.
4: Yo,
3: that's amazing. <laughs> that's
4: amazing. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I All think right. Clamp Champ could be a bad guy on the Luke Cage TV series. I'm just saying. Oh, my God. No, absolutely.
3: absolutely. Clamp Champ could be, absolutely. A, could be a season one second dark villain. Mm. <laughs> like, I think <laughs> he was.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's probably got taken down. Oh, man. <laughs> Oh, this oh my god, this, I'm tweeting. I, this I'm, 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 well, I think we're successful in that we uncovered that mystery. Oh,
4: no, uh, yeah, this is great. This is amazing. He is a member of the Heroic Warriors, a warrior who, can whe- who wields a powerful clamp weapon <laughs> that can firmly hold any opponent. As a master of the capture, he possesses tremendous physical strength necessary for operating the clamp. Oh, <laughs> and, is, and is also a master of stealth with his super senses of hearing and sight.
3: Yo, that's this, amazing. This is a Venture Brothers character. It is. It is <laughs> wait, 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 wait. wait.
0: <laughs> Do you mean to tell me that he's the guy in Infinity War that's just like, I can if I stand so still, <laughs> you yep. can't see me. Right. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yo, yeah, the last
4: line of this description says Clamp Champ is notable as being the only black character in Mattel's original Master of the
1: Universe. Wow. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And you had
0: the action figure, though.
1: I, I did. I just saw... But, you know, I, I don't even know if I knew him from the show. I think I just was like, oh. You're like, oh, black dude. Get I'm going to get that one. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> he saw him at the flea market and was like, hey, uh, okay. I'm, I'm going to need that.
1: <laughs> Actually, just a side note. We I don't think we have time to go through the whole list, but anyone... Uh, Listening, if you have some okay. spare time tomorrow, look up uh just Google fifteen laughable He Man action figures. There's <laughs> uh, okay. a pretty nice list there. Now, this is a
4: cosplay <laughs> I need to see.
0: <laughs> oh my god. I need to <laughs> see Sad somebody
4: roll the New York this is Champ Clamp.
3: Oh my god, they'd be clamp J. champ. I
1: might have to do that at some point. Yo, that's amazing. <laughs>
4: Man, you got to get yourself one of those furry bikinis. That's uh, right. You got to get furry boots, a furry bikini, yeah, right. and some sort of like chest armor thing, and then some Luke Cage bracelets. And and make yourself whatever this clamp thing is supposed to be. Yeah. I am sure the security will not let you into anything with that, with, that,
1: yeah, with that clamp. They won't even say anything. They'll just be like, sir, come on. Yeah, yeah. No.
3: No, but you know, no, you know what? You find the security guard who'll remember it. Yeah, and yeah you exactly. You'll win him over. You'll win him <laughs> over, and he's just gonna wave you through. He's gonna be like, yeah.
1: oh, man, little
2: tear in his
3: eye,
1: little tear in his eye. Yeah. Oh, can't so cool. go in without my clamp. I'm a master <laughs> of capture. I don't understand. <laughs> yeah oh my god yo real
3: quick on the furry bikini so all right. so like you made me think about something I think that in my head I didn't think that they were furry bikinis I thought that was just like fur like you could just you could take your dick out of that without taking it off like it's just like oh my god it's just you know what I mean like like a mini hula skit hanging yeah like it's just just a, a bush of fur like on your lower torso It's it's like a very minor piece of modesty
1: that's 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 disturbing that would, yeah, that would be worse
3: i know that's yeah. how i always saw it i think
0: definitely uh, broken new new ground Oh yeah,
4: no <laughs> i champ was going to be featured in the 2002 relaunch but it got canceled before they could introduce him oh no <laughs> Mike, of course they missed him yeah yeah, yeah. oh they, that's made a, they made a statue of him though really like wait wait a, a real life statue Okay. Yeah, I guess it's supposed to be an action figure, and Nika released a statue of him. It's on their little like fandom page on here.
1: Oh no, we, we've sent Jeremy on a, a, a Clamp Champ deep dive. <laughs> I think I think we found your next uh, your next IDW series.
4: Yeah. Oh, there we go. I, I think Luke I Cage think... slash Clamp Champ. Yes.
3: <laughs>
4: oh my god, the, the match the world's been yeah. waiting for. That's
3: right. Oh, my Lord. I might, I might have to write an article about Clamp Champ. Yes. This is too good. <laughs> also
0: for the... I want in, in that article, I want you to talk about your theory of the, the bushy bikini
4: <laughs> there. <laughs> the, the, the yeah,
1: really, really. Really break it down. Let, let me...
4: <laughs> all, all, I want, all I want is a comic where Luke Cage calls him Clamp chump.
1: That's all. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Oh, my yeah. Lord. But s- 70s Luke. <laughs> and Luke, then he bad. Right? It. <laughs> Yeah, of course. Or, you know, he's got to have the tiara whatever version of Luke Cage it is. <laughs> right, exactly. Because then it would be like looking in the mirror and they would be, be more poetic somehow. <laughs> Do you remember <laughs> <He clamp-tump. laughs> Do you remember Blackface He-Man? Mm,
3: uh, thankfully, no. Again? Do you remember Blackface He-Man? He was, he was no. anti-Eternia He-Man. He was like, "Nega,
1: oh.
3: <laughs> yo, he looks exactly oh my God. like he's wearing blackface. He just don't got the lips." Oh, yes, yes. 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 <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, I gotta uh-huh. Google this. Oh God! Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Oh my God, we're in like a He-Man spiral right now.
0: I'm oh, <laughs> Anti-attorney. Yep, I'm seeing that right now. This. Look at this. Um,
1: oh my God. Bushy bikini. Yeah, he's got it. <laughs> he's got it. <laughs> Oh, I, I think I see what you're talking about.
3: That's,
1: that's, that's really horrible. Oh, Jesus Christ!
3: <laughs> All right, um, um, I think we're. Are we getting close to the end of the podcast?
1: <laughs> yeah, nothing I, else I, matters tonight. After after a clamp Chip, I mean, where, where can you go after clamp Chip? <laughs> Nowhere. He's got you held with that clamp. You can't
5: do Exactly.
1: Oh, oh, real quick, I want to, um, you know, <laughs> give give a shout out and uh, congratulations to uh, to Joe Gill. I believe um, the Power Magic anthology um, hit its goal, and they're on to stretch goals now. Oh, hell, yes. But yeah, but if you if you haven't backed it, uh, please please go and back it. Um, you know, you you won't regret it. Um, and I I will put that episode up on the uh, podcast feed very very soon. Um, we, we, we spoke to her, had a great conversation a couple weeks ago. So, uh, yeah, but we'll check out, uh, we'll, we'll tweet the link out, um, for the, the, the newest Kickstarter.
3: Yeah. And, uh, and that reminds me, um, so I'm supposed to be at FlameCon, uh, this weekend. Uh, so I'll be at FlameCon. I'm going to try to say hi to Joe. Cool, huh? cool. Joe and I haven't met in the meet space yet. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'll, I'll be there and y'all see me at FlameCon. Holla.
1: All right. Dope. That, that's, that's in New York city.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, tell her what's up. I absolutely will.
0: And if you have a champ clamp, you know, bring that along too. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to see if I can get
3: one.
4: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think
1: you Near know. Guarantee you, they're on eBay right now.
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, we may have just like increased the market value like, of, that, of that figure with
1: this conversation. The thing I didn't have any of the accessories. I don't have it anymore. At least I did when I when I got it, obviously, but the, I don't have it now. So it
0: came with it. Did it come with an actual clamp? Do you remember?
1: I believe now that you mention it, yeah. But at the oh time, God, you you got champ he just got playing. I just got the champ, man. I got the champ with no clamp. Or maybe you just got chump. Uh, yeah. yeah, well, yeah, champ with no clamp is chump. I mean. Yeah, I mean, what's he?
2: <laughs>
3: no, he could be stealthy, dude. He just, yeah, still, he got
1: stealth champ. Oh, oh man! Wow. Oh my god. Okay. Well, oh, you got Masters of the Universe up. clamp champ figure. Hold on.
4: Oh no! Thirty-eight dollars on Amazon right now.
1: Uh, <laughs> next time we talk to jeremy on the shelf behind him is it's just going to be a yeah, bunch be of clenched up figures proudly no, proudly no 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 no
0: no if he leaves if he leaves his webcam on he's just focused it right there on a right. clamp chump for, for the, the entire,
3: entire show. For the entire show. Yeah. The entire show. Listen,
4: listen, this thing comes in a box that says the words <laughs> adult collector on the outside. Oh my God. <laughs> like you have to convince children not to buy this toy. Yeah. Oh my
3: God. <laughs> right, right. You gotta beat them off with a stick. Like, <laughs> they're just chasing it.
4: Uh, oh man. Listen, uh. clamps are dangerous,
1: okay? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh my God! Y- yes, Regine, we 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 are off the chain tonight.
5: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, shout out to oh like,
1: Apologies, but uh, if, if if you if you had seen Clamp Champ, I, I think you would be you would understand.
4: Yeah, Tony. Oh no! Here's the remake. It's the modern one. It's on it's on Amazon too.
3: Yeah, I saw. I saw the remake. Doesn't have the doesn't have yeah. that.
4: That flavor, though, still rocking a flat top, though. Is, oh, no, no, is, yeah. Oh, that's a God. little like Blue marble
3: Oh, man, I a few, a few. Uh, Jeremy, you can't say that. You can't say that you work for them.
4: You can't. I know you're gonna get called into the office.
3: We're gonna get in trouble for that. Shit. <laughs>
4: hey, if Blue Marvel shows up in one of my comics with the clamp, uh. Yeah.
5: <laughs>
1: oh my god, that would be amazing oh, man. You got, you even, if it's, just, even if it's just on his shelf like behind him or yeah something. Like,
3: like he was tinkering with it
1: like, <laughs> please write that into a comic
3: oh my god that would be great
1: it's my science fun. clamp
5: <laughs>
1: oh, my <God. laughs> oh shit alright y'all I guess I mean seriously we could literally talk about this, this <laughs> man, uh, you know uh,
0: you know, we had a list of things to discuss, and that's just out the window now. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. This took precedence.
3: <laughs> uh, um, yeah, Marcus, you want to you want to put a fine point on it? Where Marcus go? Marcus get Marcus get kidnapped? Hello, Marcus. Did he get clamped? Did he get? Yo, Did he, he get got the clamp. <laughs> oh no! That's what happens. It's <sighs> like Candyman. Like we've said his name too many times. <laughs> Show it up. oh man all right marcus might be having technical difficulties uh hello oh (laughs) marcus
1: okay okay It was.
3: you thought you got clamped
1: (laughs) yeah somebody clamped my mic (laughs) (laughs) no um okay yeah so jeremy uh where where can people find actually we were speaking about uh conventions before so like what what cons will you be hitting up uh i'll be
4: at uh dragon con later this month in atlanta um I'll be at SPX in Bethesda, Maryland, in September, um, and then you'll see me at uh, uh, at New York Comic Con in October, um, and I'll be right here in Durham, North Carolina, in November for uh, Bull City Comic Con.
1: Okay, cool, cool. And where um, where can people find you online?
4: Uh, I'm on Twitter at jrome58, it's J-R-O-M-E-5-8. Uh, my website is just jeremywhitley.com, um, and that has got contact and everything for me there. Um, and then uh, all, all of the princeless stuff is available on Comixology, as well as everything I do with Marvel, including Unstoppable Wasp, and... Uh, and so I just keep plugging. Uh, I got a bunch of stuff coming out in October the new volume of Unstoppable Wasp, the new volume of Princeless. And then uh, also, we never made it around to Rainbow Bright, um, which oh. I'm sure will be having a guest appearance by, uh, by Clamp Champ now. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> you will fit right in. You will fit right yeah. in. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you know all oh. the colors of the rainbow, and then Clamp. Like clamp <laughs> <laughs> he's going to be, he's going to be the heart to our planeteers. You know,
3: right, right.
4: Red, oh, orange, God. yellow, green, blue. Clamp, Clamp. <laughs> <laughs> all the elements. Oh, yeah, man. and then and then of course I'm I'm writing a uh, miniseries for for My Little Pony called Nightmare Nights, which is our uh, basically. The My Little Pony equivalent of Suicide Squad. It's all reformed villains on a mission. That,
1: that That's sounds starting cool. in October 2. <laughs> sounds pretty cool. Yeah, we, we actually didn't get into bronies this episode. Next next time.
3: We co- we covered them a bit last time. <laughs> right, right, I, just, right. I, I didn't want to okay. stress it. I know, I know, I know. You know, the reality's there. We know it.
1: Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, we, we're on to the champ, so, you know. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> So, Leo, where where can people find you at? And where, where, oh
3: where man, you? Uh, yeah, you can find me at Leonardo Eff on Twitter. Um, I write for Screen Rant and for now for Ready Set. Um, got a piece coming out on the route very soon. Uh, you know, uh, you know, I'm doing my due playing way too many video games. Nice, nice, cool.
1: Tony, what about you?
0: Ooh, I'm just trying to stop laughing. Um, <laughs> You can find me on uh, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Tumblr, if you're lucky, under Latin Negro. Um, Facebook as well. Um, what am I supposed to say? What am I working on? Uh, yeah. I'm working on a few things. Um, I'm writing a script at this moment. So uh, hopefully that works out. So that's all I can say right now.
1: Cool, cool. Yeah, so I saw you tweet about writing earlier this week. So I was like, all right, he's he's doing it. Yep. <clears throat> What's up? Um, and you can find me at uh, at Marcus Kwame on Twitter, at Marcus underscore Kwame on Instagram, because someone's squatting on my name, and uh, at uh, MarcusKwame.com, dot com where you can find me. So yeah, thank you, Jeremy. Thank you for coming to the show, and um, I really, sincerely hope that you will find a way, even if it's in the background, to get the oh champ. God in every one of your your series if you look on Twitter right now the Clamp Champ is my avatar now <laughs> well I think we've had a successful show then oh right we did it
3: we did it we did it
5: <laughs> <laughs> oh
1: That's my god amazing That's fantastic amazing. Watch out for the new
4: Clamp Champ Mini coming <laughs> I don't know 2019 sometime
1: <laughs> oh man one day, we're all going to be at a convention, and it's just going to be like, oh like Spartacus. God. It's going to be like, I'm Clamp Champ.
0: I'm going to be at New York Comic Con. I, I, you know what? I'm going to see if I'm going to get one, J- just, to, just to bring it to your table.
1: Yes, yes. I gotta, now I'm going to go see if there's Clamp Champ t-shirts, because I need to. I need to oh, man. <laughs> all right, people. We, we are, we are going to rip ourselves away from the microphones now and, and Clamp Champ. Well, I'm never leaving Clamp Chef, but you know. Please <laughs> don't. No. We're going to Clamp it for now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. we put, <laughs>
3: put a Clamp on it. Oh, put a Clamp on it is the new Black Comic Yo, Chef. Right?
1: That's the new oh. thing.
3: Yeah, I love it. I love it.
1: All right, y'all. All right. It's, uh, it's been real, Jeremy. Thank you for uh, for joining. Thank y'all for having me.
0: Oh, have a good one.
1: Yeah, man. All right, Joe. <laughs> And thank you, uh, audience. Thank you to the people who stuck with our our entire uh, '80s '80s romp. All right. hey, these kids will love this one. Exactly. We're we're sorry if you were born in the new millennium. We apologize.
3: Yeah, that's right. That's right. And none of this was that funny. In that case. But... Exactly. They're like, what
1: are these old men talking about? Oh my God. All right, y'all. Peace. Peace out, everybody. Peace. Good night.
5: Black, Black comics chat